It's all right. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, please, if you're in the adult class today in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Hallelujah. Acts 2.37. We are preaching about the passion of the early church. Look at your neighbor and say the passion of the early church. I guarantee you they weren't lukewarm. They were fired up full of the Holy Ghost and passionate about what they believed. Amen. In fact, they were so passionate, they were constantly in trouble. <laughs> Hallelujah. Brother, Brother Daniel says, sounds like him. I just wonder if he's in trouble for the right reasons, though. See, they were in trouble for the right reasons. They were on fire for God. They were utterly unafraid. Almost always in trouble. When you really walk with God, you're utterly unafraid, and you're almost always in trouble. See, it goes completely contrary to the church system today. The cosmetic, you know what I'm talking about, that outward formal religious system, the cosmic system we've preached you about, that harlot system church. That harlot system is not just Catholicism, and it's not just one particular denomination. It is all denominations. In fact, it's anybody who fits in that system. It is a harlot system. It's an unfaithful system. But it's got an appearance. It's got a cosmic outward appearance to it. Hallelujah. It's not real. But this church was not like that. It was real. It was on fire. It was passionate. They were utterly unafraid. And they were almost always in trouble. So that lets you know when you walk real close to God what to look for. If everything's just going your way and everything's just wonderful for you in life, hallelujah, and there's never any opposition, then you can pretty well mark it down that you're not walking the way this church walked. Because when they walked, they stirred up hell. I said they stirred up hell and people hated them. They were not bashful. They were not laid back. They were not passive. They were not lukewarm. They were fired up, full of the Holy Ghost, passionate about what they believed, utterly unafraid, and almost always in trouble. Acts 2, verse 37. Let's look at some things here. We're going to finish this chapter, hopefully. We started for two weeks on Acts 2, and I thought I'd finish it the first week we, we started preaching on it. And for two weeks, the Holy Ghost came in here and took over and, and just sovereignly moved in this house. So... But we're going to try to finish this this morning. All right, Acts chapter 2. You ready, Brother Snipe? Or Brother David, I mean. Hallelujah. He's not Brother Snipe until he's up here fired up. Hallelujah. Not sniping no devils being lukewarm. <laughs> Y'all ready? Acts 2.37. Y'all want to see what the early church was like, don't you? Verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, we're talking about those who were gathered around at that first Pentecostal church service. We're talking about unbelievers who have come. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men, brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And to all that are afar off. Say afar off. 
even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word, say gladly they received his word, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's a one-day revival. That's why we're getting ready for the future. And they continued, say continued. It wasn't nothing about hitting and missing and playing games. They continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine. Now, how can you, how do you interpret that? Simply that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. For us to stand up and preach that they continued in the apostles' doctrine, you understand what I'm saying? What the apostles preached. How can we misinterpret that verse? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because some people look at you and say, well, you mis you're misinterpreting that verse. The apostles' doctrine. You understand what I'm telling you? And what are we talking about? Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's Bible, isn't it? Can I ask you a question? How can you misinterpret that? Repent. How can you misinterpret repent? And be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins and be filled with the Holy Ghost. When we say to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins and be filled with the Holy Ghost, are we mis how can we misinterpret that by saying that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Some people say, you don't need all of that. All you got to do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior and boom, you're in the kingdom. How have we misinterpreted Acts 2.38? You tell me. You can't misinterpret that. You do it just like it says. Amen. It's like thou shalt not lie. We stand up and we say thou shalt not lie. Oh, you're misinterpreting that. How can we misinterpret thou shalt not lie? I'm just trying to tell you everybody wants to find a message that fits in their sack. But this, come on. You got to line up with the word. The Word's not going to line up with you. you got to line up with this book. But they always like to use that. Well, you're misinterpreting. How? Show me how we're misinterpreting this. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching and fellowship. Say, kononia. That doesn't mean they just got together, you know, and, and, and uh, had a good time. Say, kononia. Oh, Y'all don't want to know what that means, do you? Okay. And in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul. Say, fear, fear. came upon every soul. Whoa. Not supposed to preach fear. Only supposed to preach love. The foundation of all truth is the fear. The, beginning of, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not the love of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Love comes out of fear. The more you fear God, the more you love God. I'm telling you this psychology and philosophy that has crept into people's brains is going to condemn multitudes to hell. It's the fear. Look at what it says. It says, and fear came upon every soul. 
It doesn't say that, you know, everything, they just felt wonderful and rosy and, you know, they applied lotion to their skin, made them feel good. Hallelujah. When they went to church, massaged them and soothed their conscience and soothed their, you know, made them feel. That's not what it says. It says fear came upon every soul. And the fear of God, you know what? My children have fear. I put the fear of God in them. You know how I do it? Discipline. You say, well, I'm not going to discipline you because I love you. They're going to be like a devil. But you discipline and you put fear in them and they know that if they do something wrong, there's a consequence. It's amazing how much they start loving you more. See, but I'm telling you today, nobody wants anybody to tell them anything. Because it's about self-esteem and it's about their own confident confidence in themselves. So I'm already starting to preach here, but i gotta, I got to read. They continue steadfastly in the apostle doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and, all, and, and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Father, I love you today. I'm passionate about you. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the truth today. You are so holy and righteous and glorious and mighty. Hallelujah. You are worthy, God, of our praise. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Let's look at this first verse, find out something about their preaching. Hallelujah. The Bible says in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. Now, I did word studies on just about everything in this, this, these few verses here. And this word right here, when it says they were pricked in their hearts, it literally means they were pierced through to the heart. Or they were cut to the heart. Listen to the way the terms are used concerning the preaching of the word of God. It was violent. It was violent. Say it was violent. Like a, you know, the Bible talks about a sword. It's like the sword of the Spirit. Wow. Talks about in the Word of God, the sword is going to take out our minds, right? It's gonna, we're going to get the mind of Christ. So the Word of God uses preaching like it's like a sword. It's like a spear that pierces you. It's like a knife that cuts you. It's violence. And I'm telling you today that most churches are not like that. When you go to their churches or those churches and they preach, it's like instead of getting the sword out and cutting the conscience. It, when it says they were pierced to the heart, it really means they were cut to the point that they were vehemently disturbed. They were troubled in spirit. Look at your neighbor and say vehemently. Their mind was agitated vehemently. They were troubled greatly. They were cut to the heart, cut to the mind. Come on, are you with me here? 
There was nothing passive. There was not, there wasn't this getting out the lotion stuff and, and putting lotion on people and, and soothing them and making them feel good. When you walked in this church that day, you walked out troubled. You walked out agitated, vehemently in mind. Woo. You walked out cut to the heart. You walked out under conviction. But a lot of churches today, and we believe in the blessings of God. We preach that all the time, the finished work. But most of the time, a lot of churches, all they do is they have a big psychology party. Where you come in and, ooh, make me feel good. I'll tell you what's going to make you feel good. is when you get right with God. When you get where you need to be in God. And you let this word take you apart and catch you apart. Dissect you. And understand that it's a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Wow. It's a critic. Do you understand what I'm saying? Look at and say, I came here to be criticized. What? Most people go to church simply to be made to be soothed or to be made to feel good. Well, we got the good news, but you're going to have to come under conviction and you're going to have to experience some very violent delivering of the Word of God that's going to challenge you and going to transform you. And Do you understand what I'm saying? The pattern of the early churches when the Word went forth, it was, it was violent. Say, it was violent. It wasn't this liturgical stuff and, you know, and doing everybody's best not to offend or step on anybody's toes or, or don't make anybody feel comfortable. Man, I want you to know today, I want to feel uncomfortable. I want to come under the convicting power of God. I want to be challenged. I want to be transformed. There needs to go forth in this generation, and there is, and there will continue to be a prophetic voice that will go forth and declare the truth to people. They'll tell them it doesn't matter if they. Hosea talks about they set snares in the paths of the prophets to try to get them to turn from their purpose. But I'm here to tell you right now that God is going to raise up men who are unafraid and utterly unafraid. And almost always in trouble. Because they, when they preach, it's going to be violent. It's going to be with power. It's going to bring with conviction. It's not going to make you feel good. It's going to make you feel like I need God in my life. And it's not just to the people out there in the world. It's to the church. Hello, somebody. So if you want to know if you're going to the right church or not... When you go there, do you get vehemently agitated in mind? Does the preacher make you sick? Does he make you mad? Does he get under your skin? Because I'm telling you right now that prophets are raised up by God to go after a dynamic nature that will take you to hell. They're not raised up by God to put lotion on you. Woo! Give God some praise. 
So you're going to know if you're going to the right church is that when you go there, that word goes forth in power and conviction and it agitates your mind. It gets under your skin. It troubles you greatly. It makes you mad. It makes you angry. But ultimately, it puts you on your face. And if it's not doing that, you need to find a church that's preaching like the apostles preach. You need to find a church where the power of the living God is. And the word of God goes forth like a sword. They were passionate. It, oh, yeah. How many of y'all been in churches? And you go there and it's all flowery. You with me? Hmm. It's not like the early church. Hello? If y'all want a church like that, I got an address. I know where one is. Just come see me. I sat with the preacher at my table, and I looked him in the eyeballs, and I said, you better start preaching the truth. He said, I don't have your personality. I said, it don't have anything to do with personality. It has everything to do with God's call to preach and declare this word without fear or favor until you agitate the mind greatly, until people are troubled and convicted and even angry. Because if you got to know me, I'm a really nice guy. I, I'm, I'm nice. I'm sweet as they come. But when I stand up behind this pulpit and preach, i got a job to do. I've got a call to fulfill. I've got a purpose in my life. And God's hand is upon me to carry the truth to you. That if you'll hear it and receive it and repent, then the good feelings come. But I want, I want you to get as mad as you possibly can at me. Get so mad you want to rip my head off. Hallelujah. And then understand you can't do that. And just find a place to repent. Find a place to get right with God. When I stand behind this pulpit, I'm not my wife's husband. I'm not my mother's son. I'm not your buddy. I'm not your friend. I am the servant of God Almighty. And I'll preach it without fear or favor. If you leave or you stay, doesn't matter. Because we've had them come and go by the droves. Man, we got them. That thick in there and foul. So I don't care if you like it or you don't like it. I don't care if you stay or you don't stay. I'm just going to tell you right now, you better get right with God and stop playing around with God. And there should be some word that goes forth and convicts you and catch you up and makes you feel vehemently agitated in soul. <sighs> but pastor, don't you know this is America? You preach like it's a mission field. America needs it more than Taiwan needs it. Taiwan's lost, but that church over in Taiwan that we go and preach to, at times they are full of the power and the Holy Ghost. Their church services go six, eight hours at a time of prayer and worship and then hearing the Word of God. But we're in America. America needs it more. We need to be shaken, stirred, moved. Agitated. Hello, somebody. I got a question for you. Have you ever come to church and got mad? 
That's good. That's good, because I'm doing my job. That's good. I'm doing my job. Give God some praise in this house. Because once you get where you need to be in God, then you'll have the victory and you'll have the peace of God. But you cannot have the peace of God full of sin and adultery and all kinds of self. Focus on self. Confidence in self. Self-esteem. All that's junk. People don't repent when they think they're all right. People don't repent when they're full of self-confidence and self-esteem. Man, I want God to get a hold of me. Have you ever wondered, you know, we go through seasons, right? And the love of God and just the goodness of God's going forth. We're feeling so good. And then Sunday night, he tells me to preach about where is your armor going to be? Is it going to be in Ashtaroth's palace or is it going to be in the Jerusalem of God? And it's powerful and it's convicting. Come on. And you're sitting there, well, well, Pastor, everything's going real good. Why are you stirring up the water? Everything's going real wonderful, but we've been feeling pretty good, you know. And you're stirring up the water now again, preacher. Hey, can I tell you something? God gave it to me a minute before I walked in the pulpit. I had to throw my sermon out the door and walk in the pulpit and preach what he told me to preach. I'm here to tell you, we've got to do it God's way. We can't, we can't get into this psychology and this philosophy stuff. It will never save anybody. It's got to have some power. It's got to have some conviction. It's got to be violent. It's got to be a sword or a spear piercing the heart. Well, Pastor, I hear this. Pastor, well, don't you know who we are? Yeah. That's why I'm preaching like I am right now. Because I know who I am. The heart is desperately wicked. Jeremiah says, who can know it? You don't even know your own self. You don't even know what you're capable. You don't know how low you can go, how deprived you are. You don't. You look at yourself and say, I'm all right. I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, you're okay. That's nothing but a charismatic philosophy. The heart is best desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know how desperately wicked your heart is. Give God some praise. Is this too hot? Is this too hot? Is this too violent? Can I tell you something? I have a, just a, a whim and a hunch today to tell you that the what I'm doing right now it doesn't even scratch the surface as to what this early church was really all about. And I'm telling you that God is going to have a church in Odessa, Texas that's going to be an apostolic, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost filled, Bible preaching. Woo! Man, I want God to put me on my face. So if we, if we greatly agitate your mind, then we're doing what they did. Because that's what that means. It says they were pricked in heart. It literally means they were agitated vehemently in their mind. They were troubled greatly. They were cut. Say cut. You ever feel like, man, I've been cut. They cut me up today. Hallelujah. I'm after your old Adam this morning. I'm after the old Adam that... We want to take his head off. We want to cut his head off. <laughs> Y'all give me a, a real sword. You give me a... I got all the t-shirts. 
I tried all the t-shirts. I got the t-shirt. It says the decapitator. Hallelujah. I got the sword to prove it. Praise God. My one purpose today is to take our heads off. Because if we can take your head off, Hebrews 4 tells us that we can then enter into the rest of God and get the mind of Christ. But it's something that's violent. It's not It'll make you matter. You put, you put whatever you want to put in there. It will when it's preached right. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, pastor, you know, if you wouldn't preach like that, you'd have a big church. <clears throat> I don't want a church full of goats. I don't want a church full of cows either that just look the part who grow tall and are hard-headed at the top and they cannot bow like the golden grain bows. I don't want cows in the house. I want the golden grain that will bow their head in the presence of God Almighty and are not hard-headed because God said in the last day, He gave us parables of the wheat and the tares. I want to be the golden grain. Of the kingdom of God that's going to bow before him. Humble myself. Get rid of my pride. Get rid. So anyway, that's just that one little part right there. See, y'all don't believe me already. See, I'm already, I'm already going contrary to your flesh. Whew. Hallelujah. Brother, you got fire in your eyes? Yeah. That scares me, man. It scares me. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and when the Bible says, And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men, brethren, what shall we do? When you preach like they preach, you'll get the response that they got. They said, What do we need to do? Hallelujah. Come on. We're cut to the heart. We're convicted right now. We're agitated. <laughs> Vehemently, no, I love it. It's not just agitated in mind. The word literally means agitated vehemently. Made a matter in hell. Woo! I'm telling you the truth. They had more fire than hell had. They had more power than hell had. Ooh, yeah. Come on. Are you with me here? Do you understand that there's a side of God called his judgment? And if you've got the spirit of God inside of you, it's not just, you know, soothing. Man, there's some conviction. There's some, the judgment of the Almighty involved. There's death involved. Have to understand that when he died, he died in my place. Watch. I'm, 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 I know I'm not sorry. Uh, if you came to make, be made to feel good today, well, hallelujah. Just go sit on your psychologist's couch next week. And tell him all of your problems. And get no help. Or go to your bottle. Pop the top. Drink your sorrows away. Get your little cigarette. Kill yourself. Oh, preacher, I don't think anything's wrong with that. Oh, really? Well, just die early then. You're looking at somebody that's fired up today. And when they were pricked in their hearts, they agitated vehemently. 
<laughs> that means they were mad. Ooh, glory to God. Bible says this. Then Peter said unto them, Now, I'm sorry I made you mad. I'm sorry that you're vehemently agitated in mind. And I'm so sorry that you're troubled in spirit today. Will you forgive me of my mannerisms? I, I don't know uh, who I'm talking to. Uh, I've lost my mind, you know. I don't, I don't discern properly. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> he looked at fire-breathing dragons. I said he looked at fire-breathing dragons. And he said, repent! Which means change your mind concerning your direction and your purpose. And it's, listen, repentance is not always done in a fit of emotion. Do you understand? They're, they're upset before they ever repent. They got emotion going on before they ever repent. Repentance is a decision that we make. It's sometimes followed with godly sorrow and tears. But did you know you can, you can repent without godly sorrow? You can, you know, because you got caught. Because you feel bad. I'm sorry. Because you feel bad. And there's no godly sorrow there. Repentance is you make a decision with your mind to change your direction and your purpose in life. Wow. So if I'm doing one thing, I got a purpose, you know, and I'm doing my purpose, and I'm doing, you know, my will or whatever I want, my direction, then I've got to turn around, and I've got to get a hold of the direction of God. I've got to change my mind concerning my direction and my purpose. And I'm telling you today, not tomorrow. I'm telling you today, not next week. I'm telling you not next month. I'm telling you not six months. I'm, I don't preach like that. I don't preach like this. Well, we're just going to give them time to repent. We'll let them play around with sin for a little while, you know, until they understand. Can I tell you something right now? The message is not give you time. It's repent. Peter doesn't look at them and say, well, we'll give them a little time because they really don't understand everything. We'll give them a little time, you know, to get rid of sin in their life. Peter said, no, repent now. Change direction now. God will give you space to repent. But the message is repent. Let your neighbor say repent. repent. That's what the church needs. Repentance. Not this philosophy. Well, we're going to give you time. You know, see how you do. Hallelujah. You know, and, you know we'll, we'll let you have a little sin. You know, we'll, we won't preach against your sin. You know, we won't preach against your sin because we know you're new. <laughs> what is that trash? Oh, we'll sit. Come on. Oh, yeah. We'll open up our doors of our house and we'll, we'll let you come in and we'll let you act like a devil and we'll let you do whatever you want to do concerning sin. It doesn't matter. You know, we're the people of God and we're just going to give you... Yeah. You, are you crazy? If you do that, they will never find God because you condone and you compromise with their lifestyle. The message is repent and it will make them vehemently mad. Where do you get your philosophy and your psychology? You don't find it in this word. Sin is worse than cancer. It'll send you straight to hell. It'll kill you and take you to the abyss. 
You don't walk up to somebody and say, well, you just got, you know, a little cancer. And we're just going to leave it in there. You know, because we really, you know, we, want, we want, don't want to hurt your feelings. And, and, and tell you that we got to cut you wide open. And we got to, you know, we got to take out parts. We got to remove body parts, man. You know, it, it's very violent, brother. Because we're talking about cancer here. They don't walk up and say, well, it, you know, we just see, we just let it progress. And let the cancer have its way, you know, and see how it goes, you know. Are you crazy? Would you like to have a compromising doctor like that? He says, hey, we're just going to let the cancer have its way. No, we've got to catch you open. I mean, we've got to get violent. We've got to take a knife. We've got to catch you open. We've got to take out that part. We've got to remove that body part. Because they understand that it's going to kill you. And it only takes one snake bite to kill you. It only takes one match to light the whole forest on fire. It doesn't take a gallon of venom to kill you. So how much sin does it take to kill you? One sin is all it takes to ultimately kill you. Stop playing games with God. Stop playing with sin. Stop compromising. And stop telling people that just because, you know, they're new in the church, they can just keep on doing their old way. No, God said repent. Change the direction you're going. I understand holiness is a process. But once you find out what the will of God is... You're responsible for it. Give God some praise. How many of y'all love Jesus this morning? Bible said they were vehemently agitated in mind. They were pricked in their heart. It was a violent message that went forth. It was something that would take their heads off and pierce their heart. It was something that had fire in it and passion in it. It was something that caused them to come to an understanding. They needed to change. Give God some praise. Boy, I don't want to tell my friends, you know, or my family, I got to be careful here. And yes, use wisdom. But if God tells you to do something, man, you do it. If he tells you to tell them the truth, just straightforward, just like it is, you tell them. Because if you don't, they're going to be lost, and you're going to be lost. Because the apostle said this, if our gospel be hid it's hid to them that are lost you can't play games like that you can't say we're just going to see how far the cancer goes no cut them open open him up violently take out that and that is the church in the early church. You with me here? And that's the pattern. It's the prototype of the genotype. The prototype is the pattern. And there's a genotype that comes from the pattern. I'm looking at the genotype of this early church. They are the prototype and the pattern. If it's not stirred up and shaken up and for the Holy Ghost today. Why are you preaching like this? Because I got to get where I need to get. I'm not preaching down at you. I'm preaching to myself. You like it or you don't like it makes no difference to me. Someday if you stand before God and you're saved, you'll come to me and you'll hug my neck. You'll tell me, thank you, Pastor, for telling me the truth. Thank you for not getting in psychology and philosophy. Thank you for not tickling my ears. Like you can find that everywhere. But I guarantee you, if I go to hell and you go to hell with me, you're going to come and say, Preacher, why didn't you tell me the truth? Why didn't you preach the gospel to me? Why didn't you tell me what I needed to hear? Why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you challenge me? And I refuse to find myself in hell someday 
and look at oh come on and hear your voice crying out in the pits of hell why didn't Pastor Carter tell me the truth? Why didn't pa he didn't have a backbone, did he? He wasn't strong enough, was he? He was spineless. He come on, somebody! God's looking for men and women who are utterly unafraid and almost always in trouble. Did you get in trouble for the gospel this week? Or you sat in the comfort of your house and everything was wonderful. I want to tell you something. This early church, they were utterly unafraid and almost always in trouble. They, hell hated them. Hell was stirred up to get. Hell wanted to take them. Come on, are you with me right now? Hello, somebody. This is a violent message. Cutting, piercing. It's a violent message. Now you know what the early church was like, right? Does it fit in today's modern system? Does it look like the church as a whole is in the book of Acts? Because if you're the church of God, you're going to be in the book of Acts. Because this is the prototype. You with me? Now watch this. Okay. They were pricked in the heart. Peter said, repent. Change your mind. Get a new mind. Concerning the direction and the purpose of your life. It doesn't matter if you want to or you don't want to. Hear me right now. You know what? If I did what I wanted to do, I would have stayed home today and I'd have got on my couch. If I'd have done what I wanted to do, I'd have stayed home and got on my couch. Come on. If I did what I wanted to do, come on, somebody. I would live an immoral life if I did what I wanted to do. It's not about if you want to do it or you don't want to do it. It's not about if you feel like it or you don't feel like it. It doesn't matter if it's convenient or inconvenient. If God's Word said it, you're responsible for it. If it's convenient or if it's not convenient, if you want to or you don't want to, it makes no difference. If I did what I wanted to do, I guarantee you I wouldn't be here right now. A man looked at me just the other day on his way back, continued to pray. On his way back, he said, I want to get where I want to go to church. He said, I've gone through my life and I've gone through a point where I just at times didn't want to go to church. I said, hello. I said, this is not about wanting to go or not wanting to go. There's a lot of times I don't want to preach. There's a lot of times I don't want to get up in the morning and pray. There's a lot of times I don't want to fast. Come on, are you here? It doesn't matter if I want to. I don't want to. It's repent. See, that spirit gets a hold of people. You with me? It says you got to want to do this. Do you think Jesus just enjoyed going to the cross? He picked up the cross and said, hey, happy day. Hey, happy day. Sing, hey, happy day. Dancing and singing all the way up to Calvary. If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't want to go to the cross 
This is not about one, two, or not one, two. It's not about. People say today, I can't. Don't say you can't. Say you won't. Get honest. Get truthful. Don't say you can't. Say I won't. I get tired. Hallelujah. God, I, I know, gets tired of all the excuses that people make. I can't. Well, I can't. I can't. No, just say, I won't. Give God some praise. So you got up this morning, many of you, and you fought with the dogs. You fought with the cats. You fought with the children. You fought with the husband. You fought with the wife. Don't look at me when that's sanctimonious. If you didn't today, you will. I got up first thing I, I did. I walked out, lifted up my blinds, and I had a gusher out in my backyard. You know what a gusher is, don't you? Some people call him a geezer. I call it a gusher. Just water just flooding out, man. My pipe's broke in half. Wonderful to wake up first thing in the morning and see your pipe's broke. Water just go... Especially on a Sunday. Church service. You know, I need to take a shower. First thing I do, I got to go find a ranch. Got to go get a ranch. Got to go out there and shut the water off. And, and the city of Odessa haven't looked at my water meter in years. It was covered with dirt this deep. They haven't checked to see how much water I've used, I would say, at least in months. <laughs> He's a city employee. And I had, to, I had to tear the grass out of the hole. And I had to get a shovel. You know, I'm talking about right before church. Had to dig all the dirt away. And then they, they just, you know, a few months back, they changed the meter. So where the shutoff valve used to be, it is no longer in that place. So I had to dig and dig and dig and dig it until I finally found it way shoved up in the very back of the, the little cover there. Way back I had to, finally found it. I said, I don't know nothing about this, Christina. I said, they changed the valve out. Can't even find a shutoff. They, they probably don't even put one on them now. I kept digging, I kept digging, I kept digging, I kept digging. I finally found a shutoff valve, turned it off, and it dawned on me. You need to take a shower. You know what? I shouldn't have taken a shower. I should have just come up here with blare-eyed, my hair out of place, looking like something. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uncut, uncut, uncupped hair and... I should have just come up. I'm just telling you, that's what I woke up to this morning. Hallelujah. So I went real quickly out there. Y'all, it would have been a sight to see. Y'all drove by and see me in my pajamas out there trying to get me. I mean, I wasn't even modest about it. I got my pajamas out there. <laughs> hey, look at who is that guy over there? It's your pastor, hallelujah. Hello, Brother Urshan. <laughs> No, I wasn't immodest. I'm just, I don't want you to get these weird mental pictures in your mind. <laughs> but that's what I woke up this morning. I shut the water. I had to go back and shut it, turn it back on. You know, run in there, take a quick shower. And it, all the water pressure was gone. It was all going out that one little hole. And I get in there and he's barely trickling. <laughs> Reminds me of some of you who have glory like that. Just barely trickling out of the faucet. Not enough to move anything. Not enough power, not enough flow. 
Just a little bit of your trickle when you came in there. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. No power, no flow. I guarantee you get water that flows in baked, in baked. It's a very powerful, torrential, white capping type of thing. That's the church of the New Testament. So I walked in there. I still have soap in my hair. You know, I really felt like getting in the pulpit this morning. Hallelujah. I did. I really felt like getting in the pulpit Wednesday night. Had all kinds of calls going on during the day and the nighttime. Can't sleep. Daytime people call. All kinds of stuff going on. Stuff going on when I got to church. Try to stand in the pulpit and preach. I tell you what, I didn't feel like preaching. But I'm here to tell you right now, it's not what I want. It's not how I feel. It's based on the whole word of the living God. So that brother said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, I just got to a place that I just didn't want to go. I said, when did you ever think that you needed to want to go? you think you ever needed to want to go? When did you think you ever needed to want to live for God? When did you think you ever wanted to be holy? That you had to want to be holy. Hello somebody. The word of God says repent. It says turn your direction. Hallelujah. Change your direction and your purpose. Next time the devil comes to you and uses that on you. Well, you know, you better not go to church today because you really don't want to. And you know when you go, it's going to be hot. It's gonna, I'm not talking about air conditioning wise. The word's going to be hot. It's going to be like cold, live coals off the altar. And I, I just know when I get there what I'm going to get when I get there. So I don't know if I even want to show up. You're going to let your flesh dictate to you? You know why this word repentance is so hard on us? It's because it removes our so-called self-esteem. Don't they know who I am? I don't think God would talk like that. You'll find out how God talks right here. I don't think God would talk like that. I don't think God. Have you ever read Malachi where God says, I'm going to take poo-poo and I'm going to wipe it in your face? God don't talk like that. You're an idiot. He does talk like that. Can't believe God talked like that. He wouldn't talk to me like that. Oh, really? You don't know your Bible. Y'all come back when I'm sweet. I just got something else burning in me right now. Because all this psychology and this self-esteem stuff, really what it is is also self-confidence. Because when I stand up and tell us and God tells me to repent, that means I lose self-confidence, I lose self-esteem, and I have to bow my knee, I have to humble myself, I have to get rid of my pride. I choose to change my life and live for God. I choose to obey Him when I want to or I don't want to. 
when I feel like it or when I don't feel like it. Repentance really is, it really assaults the human ego. Who me? Repent? You're telling me I got to change? What do I need to change for? Man, God's constantly got his hand on me. He, he, he constantly keeps me on my face. I live on my face. I live broken. Do you understand? My whole life is brokenness. You know? And if I went by my feelings, I wouldn't even be the pastor of this church. If I went by my feelings, I would not be behind this pulpit. But you know what? For going on 10 years, even when I didn't want to, I still came. Yeah, come on, church. Didn't feel like it. Still came. You don't know. Some of you don't know what goes on. You still have to stand up here and preach the Holy Word of God. Not because I want to. Not because I feel good. Not because I feel like I, you know, feel like I want to. Y'all like that? Not because I want to. Not because I feel good. Or because I feel like I want to. Put them together. <laughs> That's not why I stand up behind this pulpit. It's about the kingdom of the living God. Do you understand in the early church that the boss man over the servants in the field and the servants of the field would come to the same church and the servants in the field stood behind the pulpits of God and, and preached as prophets to their bosses? You think those bosses felt like listening to their servants? When out there in the field, in the world, the bosses were telling them what to do. But now they go to church and the boss sits on the pew and the servant stands in the pulpit. That's the way God works. They had to learn to submit to them, submit themselves when they didn't want to, when they didn't feel like. Because <sighs> I told you the kingdom of God. You might rule out there. You come in here, though. Come on, somebody. You with me here? It's a completely new order. You might be real, you know, big shoddy out there. You might be a, a boss. You might be a, 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 come on, somebody. You might be a foreman out there. You might own a company out there. But you come in here and somebody that serves you out there is going to stand up and tell you what to do. And I know for some of you who are older than me, you come up here and you hear this young preacher preach. And that gets under your skin. Because you're older than me. i got to submit to him. Don't he know I'm older than him? I want to tell you when you came in here, every, on the grounds level, it's not about age. It's not about position. It's not about your wealth. It's about God. It's his kingdom. You better get rid of that pride, sir. You better get rid of that pride, ma'am. I've I got to know more than him because, I mean, he's 40. 40 and I'm, you know, 95. Do you get the point here? It doesn't have anything to do with want to. The only thing that it has to do with want to is you got to have the want to to go all the way with Jesus. You got to want to submit yourself when he's got his hand on you. You you got to be, let me just put it this way. Let me just put it this way. 
You've got to position your mind to change your mind to be willing and obedient. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the fat of the land. If you are willing and obedient, say willing. Sometimes you've got to be willing when you don't want to be willing. But if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat of the fat of the land. And it's not about, about convenience. Passion will take you and cause you to do things. Passion for God will cause you in, to do things and take you places you, you said you'd never go. Give God a hand clap of praise. Just, just by reason of personal example, when I went to Crane, went and pastored over there, man, I walked into something I never knew who existed. <laughs> The first church I ever passed it because I'm a young preacher, you know, so I don't know what's going on. I thought everybody's going to love me, and everybody's going to love God's Word, and everybody's going to love the church. Hallelujah. We're going to have a big old happy family. Everything's going to be wonderful until I get my door knocked on by the older people. I need to talk to you, Pastor. Oh, come on. Are you here? Are you with me? I didn't know it could happen. <laughs> and all kinds of stuff started taking place, and I'm so sweet and kind and loving, I just couldn't believe that they would act like that. <laughs> Give God some praise. And I found out that about four or five preachers before me had come, and they, they, they stayed, they endured as long as they could, and they kicked them out. They starved some of them to death, took the tithe, withheld the tithe, would not give the tithe to support the man, eventually starved one of them completely out. He didn't even have enough money to get out of town. Manipulation and control. Manipulation and control. Come on, somebody. I found out a long time ago that it's not about, you know, pacifying everybody and tickling them by the ears. It's about preaching the word of the living God. And if they'll, if they'll repent and get right beyond convenience or beyond the want to. It's about will, being willing and obedient. You shall eat of the fat of the land. Give God some praise. Woo, how many of y'all are willing? <laughs> but you don't always want to. Me! I'm willing, but I don't always want to. Me! Brother, what's your name? Thomas. Comes in late the other day, wore completely out. <clears throat> Looks at his wife and said, I'm tired, I'm wore out. But he still gets his boots, puts them on. Walks out the door with Brother Eloy. Who else there? Brother Mark. Who else? I hear one of the bus out there, sanding away. The, so even some of the ladies, I think, showed up, you know. They were wore completely out. They didn't want to come and have to sand the bus. Got out there, sanded the bus. Got the bus ready. It's ready to be painted. Come on, somebody. They took their time, their effort, their wore out, but they still got a responsibility. And they say, we're going to take care of it. Not because I want to. 
or because I feel like it or because it's convenient and because it you know fits in my schedule it doesn't get in the way of anything I want to do they said I gotta go I gotta pay I gotta, gotta work gotta do something for God it's not about convenience it's not about want to it's not about if it fits in your schedule or not it's about God hello God's good. And I'll just tell you right now, that bus is so important. They understand how important it is that if we put that thing in a shop and they sprayed it and it was still dripping wet. If God told me to take the bus out of the barn dripping wet. If God told me to do it, honey, I don't care what you think. If God tells me to take a bus out of the barn dripping wet, I know it's not very wise, but I'll take the bus out dripping wet. If God tells me to do whether you like it or you don't like it. Because we've got things that must be done. There are sales at stake. And it's not wanted to or not wanted to to be convenient or fitting the time schedule. Lord, have mercy on us. And a real temptation right now, especially for some of us who like sports and football. And I'll be, I like sports. Don't get, I'm going to tell you. But a real temptation is this. Is that because the Cowboys are playing the early game. We got to get out of here. Are you funny? Or they're playing the late game. So we, we can't go to church and pray because, you know, they're playing the late game. I got to watch the last play, you know. Lord have mercy. Now for all you who are pointing the finger at me, I, you know. You get the point, don't you? There's a lot of times I don't want to. <laughs> Woo! Praise God. Do you always want to? Come on. I know that's not true. It takes me sometimes an hour to get you prayed through in church. It takes me sometimes an hour to get you beyond your flesh. Coming in here dealing with all kinds of stuff. Problems. Trying to overcome you want to. You're trying to overcome your feelings. Had a bad day, bad night and everything else. But it's not about wanting to or feeling it. It's about God. somebody I, I just have a hard time understanding how people can use those excuses I don't want to where did you read that in the Bible that obeying God's word and fulfilling your purpose in the kingdom of God is contingent upon your want to I find words like this in the book of Esther. You don't know if you've been born for such a time as this. If you don't go forward, then God is going to raise up deliverance in another place. If you don't do it, somebody else is going to take your place. If I don't do it, somebody else is going to take my place. Esther... 
Don't think that you're going to get off scot-free. And because you're married to the king, that everything's going to be wonderful for you. You shall also perish along with your family. But there will be deliverance come from another place. And so Esther says, as the holy bride, she says, if I perish, I perish. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter if I'm inconvenienced. It doesn't matter if I want to. If I die, I die. But I'm going to do it because it's all about God. I'm, I'm tired of people's philosophies. Don't have any idea what's going on. But God, in opinion, this is the only one that counts. I said, this is the only, only one that counts. And I guarantee you when Malachi stood up and he said, take dung. And, I mean, he didn't have to, you know, God, the type was, take dung and put it in their face. Well, if they're going to treat me like that when I go to church, if they're going to wipe poo-poo on me, that's in the Bible. I know my son's a prophet. Jeremiah is a prophet. He walked up to Brendan the other day and he said, you're a poo-poo bird. <laughs> I had to spank him for that one, you know. <laughs> He's already talking like a prophet. Hallelujah. He's already putting his, my son's son on his face. <laughs> Don't be surprised. You walk up and you see Jeremiah preaching. <laughs> You're a poo-poo bird. Repent. <laughs> Get right, you know. <laughs> you never been in church like this. Uh, you see, I'm not worried about what I say, how I say it, when I say it. As long as it lines up with the holy oracles of God, and I've got Bible, and Malachi says he's going to wipe dung in your face. That's not fun. <laughs> I love this. I love this. I love this. Because you know what? When you came here, you didn't come to judge me. When you came here, I didn't take, I didn't take a vote. I didn't get with any committees this morning and ask them what they thought about what I was going to preach. I didn't get with the board and say, hey, you know, I'm going to preach this way you think. They're going to get in trouble. Are you, are you silly? I didn't take a poll as you walked in. You know, if you, you know, do you think you're going to like the way the, people talk, the preacher talks this morning or not? Because we want to know because we don't want to offend you. I didn't take a poll this morning. I came to make you mad. I came to preach in such a way that your heart would be pricked. Which literally means that your mind is agitated vehemently. Give God some praise. But God, God don't talk like that. I live in these prophets. I live in them. I know how God talks. Give God some praise. Hallelujah. He's an awesome God. Brother Dash used to say this about prophet. He said prophets are not wanted, but prophets are needed. It's not about you wanting them. It's about you needing them. 
Give God a good hand clap of praise. And what is so awesome, though, is this, that when he says that they were pricked in heart, it literally means that they were tired, that they were wore out. They had lost their peace. They had lost their rest. And so he stands up and he preaches in a way that he can prick their hearts, take off their heads, so that they can cease from their own labors and enter into his rest. You'll never have peace and you'll never have rest until the Word of God does its work in your spirit. Literally, they're pricked at heart. They're wore out. People say, I'm tired. I'm so tired. I don't know. And I have this. I always have this. Well, it's the season change. You know, because we're going from summer to fall. And so it's, but I tell you what, I really believe it's a seasonal change in the spirit. That the reason why we get tired is not so much physical as it is spiritual. That we are laden and are heavy laden with what? With sin. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. With what? Go to Isaiah 1. Uh, uh, people laden with iniquity. Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. It's not just a physical tiredness. It's a spiritual tiredness. Because if we'll get where we need to be in God, it is amazing that when you put your boots on and you walk up there and you start sending that bus, my wife said, I saw them. She said, they looked so happy. They had so much joy. They had so much victory. And I told you that a long time ago, brother. When you're doing what God's called you to do, it doesn't matter how tired you are. Something about supernatural life. Supernatural victory. That's why you come to church tired, but you leave here, you can't sleep all night long. Because it's not a, just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. I guarantee you, you find somehow, some way to break out in praise and prayer and worship God. That if you came here tired this morning, you'll leave here so wired up and so full. Your wife will have to give some of you husbands a sedative. My wife is so happy that I'm fixing to leave town. <laughs> Robert, this is Robert, right? I'm fixing to go to a black apostolic conference. I don't, I don't mess with the white conferences. No, man. I'm going to a black apostolic conference where they really know how to preach. See, I got power to listen to the white boys. But let me tell you, let me just change it. I told you a long time ago that it's really not about white, black, or Hispanic. It's about anointing. It's about power. It's about preaching the word of God. I met some white boys that were dead, but I met some white boys that were on fire. I met some black boys that were dead, but some black boys that were on fire. I met some Hispanics that were dead and some Hispanics that were on fire. It doesn't matter what color skin you got. Do you know God? Yeah. 
So if you don't know what to do with me right now, you wait till I get back from that conference. <laughs> Woo! Don't be surprised that at the end of my messages, I start singing. You know how they sing their clothes? Jesus. <laughs> Don't be surprised I start singing like I'm <laughs> I get back. I don't want anything to do with deadness. My God's not dead. He's alive. And if you're tired, you just need to get some explosion going off. You need to get ignited by the power of God. Don't sit on me because I'm preaching good. Give God a hand clap of praise. See, I'm really, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly telling you the truth. I'm blind. People come in here and they look around and I say, don't sit on me because pre I'm preaching good. And everybody looks and says, what do you mean sit down? The whole church is standing. David said this, I'll not be satisfied until I awake in his likeness. Say awake. Look, look at and say, are, are you awake this morning? Or did you come here tired? David said, I will not be satisfied until I awake in his likeness. Hallelujah. The church is supposed to be quiet and formal and passive, says the cosmic queen. Are y'all doing all right? Give the Lord a hand clap praise. We're going to, we're going to turn somebody loose on you tonight. And if he comes passive and cool, calm and collected, I'm going to lay hands on his head. But I have a feeling in that he's not coming cool, calm and collected. And he's not going to come passive. He might end up, he might end up seeing. Give God some praise. Say repent. It's not about wanting to. It's not about feeling like you want feeling. It's about doing it. You choose. You choose. It goes against your emotion. It goes against your feeling. It goes against everything your flesh is telling you. If you've got to lay down your life, say we do go through the seven-year tribulation period, and you've got to lay down your life. You think it's going to feel good to get your head cut off? You better settle it now. Not then. You better settle it now. You better decide, I'm selling out now. I'm not waiting to the seven-year tribulation period. I'm going to sell out right now. 
But pastor, I'm pre-trib. I don't have to worry about it. Hey, I was pre-trib for 20 years. Hello, somebody. I'm just telling you, you better settle it now. Give God some praise. God can supernaturally take care of you. But you're going to have, have to have a walk that will not bow or succumb. Wow, isn't God good? Say, look at him and say, repent. That make you feel good, Brother Snipe? Come here, Sniper. Come here. Hey, everybody, y'all call him Brother Sniper. You know why? Because <clears throat> he snipes devils. I want you to stand up here and preach with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. It's easy, brother. No, nothing to it, man. Piece of cake. No problem. Fight off all these devils in the house. It's easy, man. They all come at you with a smile. Nah, man, you ought to see the expressions they're making. <laughs> Honey, I've preached against that so long. I, you might as well try something else. Because that's, that's not going to work. This rolling your eyes up in the back of your head, crossing your arms like this and doing this little old, this footwork you got going on. Or walking out in a rage. Go ahead. Because when you do, take your chance because I know I'm preaching like I'm supposed to. We had them, we've had them run out of here. We've had them run out in Crane. And, I thought, and the people in Crane were, were supposed to be strong, solid saints. Been in the church for years. Run out angry. <laughs> there goes my church. <laughs> Isn't God awesome? See, I'm trying to show you what the church is really supposed to be like. It's not this formal, psychological, philosophical church system that has risen up. That is a cosmic Vashtar system. It is not an Esther that says, if I die, I die. If I lose my head, I lose my head. Doesn't matter. Amen. Y'all with me still? I told you I was going to try to get out of this second chapter. The Holy Ghost has just been taking over, moving in this house and taking over. <clears throat> what's it say? Repent. Repent. Now, what's the next step? According to the Word of God, according to the Apostles' doctrine, repent is the first step. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is New Testament salvation. He did not stand up this day and say, All you got to do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior and boom, you're in the kingdom. 
He said, Repent, be water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How can you possibly misinterpret that? What does repent mean? Change your mind concerning the direction and purpose of your life. What does baptism in Jesus' name mean? It means to be water baptized, having the name of Jesus called over you for the remission of sins. How can you misinterpret that? Unless you want to be some kind of religious dude. You know, it says it's in the authority of. Literally, it is to have the name invoked over you. It is not in the authority of. It doesn't say in the authority of there. It says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. In or into the name of Jesus. It literally means to have his name invoked over you or called over you. It's not like I can get up here and baptize you in titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost or, or some other name, you know, a Buddha or Hindu or Krishna or, friend, there's baptisms all over the world. The only thing that distinguishes Christian baptism from pagan baptism is the name of Jesus. There is no salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And the only thing that distinguishes our baptism from the rest of the pagan, pagan baptisms is the name of Jesus. Now you tell me how we misinterpret that. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which means you get filled with the Spirit of God. Since when can you take your knife out on your keychain, Brother Edmonds gave me this from Taiwan. He said I needed a big sword. <laughs> he's in town. He's coming. He's flying in, by the way, tomorrow. I'm flying out and he's flying in. <laughs> well, he'll be here for two weeks, so I'll get to see him. But he told me, he said, when you fly to Taiwan, you come to my stomping grounds. He said, when I fly to the United States, he said, I come to your stomping grounds. And he gave me that. He said, you need a big sword. So since when do you take your little knife out and cut that portion out and say, I don't, you know, I believe that I can accept Jesus and I, I believe I need to repent, but what a baptism in Jesus' name, not necessary. And Holy Ghost, not necessary. Who gave you the authority to take your knife out and cut it out? Who gave you that authority? This is God's holy word. People were saved because they believed that form of doctrine which was delivered to them. And it was delivered by the apostles. So when they preached, they preached with a sword. They preached violently. It made people mad. They told them to repent, change their mind concerning their direction and their purpose in life, and then be water baptized in Jesus' name. Not to make you a part of a denomination. Denomination literally means this, to divide and number the nation. What I'm telling you has nothing to do with any denomination. If you got a denominational hang-up, you got a hang-up. Because this message is not denominational because we, God did not divide and number His nation. It's about the body. It's about the apostolic message. 
Give God some praise. What makes a church a legitimate church is not based on denomination or organization. It's based on organism. It's based on the body. And it's what validates it is the message that's preached from the pulpit. And the lifestyle in the pew that makes it a true apostolic church. The message in the pulpit and the lifestyle in the pew. So if you got a denominational hang-up, you got a hang-up. And I can understand maybe a little bit where you come from because at one time I used to be a licensed minister in a particular organization. So I understand how you can get in that mindset of, of believing that that is so valid or so vital, I should say. I'm not saying it's invalid. I'm just saying vital. No, you're using wrong terms then. Valid, possible. Vital, no. Give God praise. What's vital is this message in this pulpit and the lifestyle in that pew. That's why if you walk out there in the world, people see you dressed unholy. And then they ask you, church, uh, uh, you know, we notice, you know, you look like a Pentecostal. What church you go to? We go to, you know, Pastor Carter's church. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church. I just pastor it. But you can say our pastor is, you know, that's okay. But I'm telling you, if you are immodest, or you're living like the devil out there. <laughs> it reflects this church. Oh, they must not be preaching the truth. They must not stand for what's right. They must not have standards there. They must. Are you? Listen to me. You represent this church. When you go to a job, they say, I want you to dress a certain way, don't they? Some of you go to jobs and say, we want you coat tie. We want certain kinds of shoes. Uh, you ladies, we want hose on your legs. We want your skirts down to your knees. Jobs, place, come on, set standards. But you come to church and you tell us that we are not to supposed to lay any standard out. That we're not supposed to preach holiness. You are deluded by the powers of darkness. If you believe that the world can set standards for their employees. But God cannot set standards for His body, the church, concerning holiness. You are caught up in a charismatic spirit. The church is to set the standards in the house concerning dress, appearance, lifestyle. And yeah, they're going to rise up and they're going to say, well, they just got trying to control you. God has come to take over your life. He didn't just come to be a part of your life. He came to take over. No wonder Joshua looked at the captain of the Lord host and he asked him this. Are you for us or are you for them? And the captain of the Lord host didn't say, well, Joshua, of course I'm for you. No, he said, I'm the captain of the Lord's host. Which means this. I've come to take over your life. I'm not just for you. I came to take control of you. I'm not just for you. I'm here to take control of you. But I'm telling you this philosophy. Well, they're just trying to control me. Come on, somebody. Since when could anybody ever control you anyway? Give me a holy break. 
anybody that I've ever been able to control. They want to live like the devil. They're going to live like the devil no matter what I preach, what I say, or how. It, I can act like, you know, just real sweet, kind, and they still live like a devil. I can be all crazy, hair out of place, bug-eyed, blear-eyed, you know, they're still going to live like a devil. Since when, since when, I'm asking you, since when have we ever been able to control you anyway? Give me a break. I, give, I could give some of you a direct word from God straight and you'll still do what you want to do. I've given some of you direct words from God, and I knew it was from God. And you still went about did your thing. And you think that I can control you? You're funny. That's why I'm telling you this self-confidence, this self-esteem. That's why we don't like to hear the word repent. Because we think we can do it ourselves, and we think we got it all figured out. And we go, <laughs> give God some praise. He didn't just come to be for me. He came to take over my life. He came. Let me just let you in on something. Everybody take a deep breath. Go. Jesus came to take control. He didn't just come to be for you. He came to take over your life. That's what we're talking about. Repentance, water baptism is his name. Infilling of the Holy Ghost. When you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you speak in tongues. That's the only way I know they got it in the Bible. Did you find a new way? I know what I'm talking about because I used to fight this. I don't believe you got to speak in tongues to have the Holy Ghost. Really? Well, guess what? As soon as you start... <laughs> as soon as you open your mouth and say, I don't believe it's necessary, God will make a liar out of you. <laughs> So I walk around and say, I don't believe this is necessary. Guess what? That very day, I went to church. Revival was going on. Brother Dice laid hands on me. I went to my knees. I couldn't even stand up. The fire of God hit me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. I was like electricity. I was like a light bulb going off there. And guess what I did? What I said I wouldn't do. I spoke in tongues. So as soon as you walk around flapping your jaws... Saying what's not going to happen to you and what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Guess what? I said, but anyway, going back to the church in Crane, you know, all those problems. Let me go back there. Let me digress a little bit. When I left there, I looked at my wife and I said, I will never go back. I will never come back here again. <laughs> never. This <laughs> is the last time I'll ever stand in that. Because God's taken me out, and he did. And he planted me in another ministry, and he did. He gave me a dream and showed me that it was going to come to pass, and it came to pass exactly. Because God was in it. So as soon as I drove off, I said, I'll never come back here again. Guess what? <laughs> About eight months down the road, God started putting his hand on me. I couldn't pack fast enough. <laughs> so I went from never going back to not being able to pack fast enough. Don't you ever say never. Because God will he'll make you out to be a liar. 
God's good, isn't he? Are y'all having, having a good time this morning? Have y'all gone beyond the mad stage? You see, when you go beyond the mad stage and you, you repent, then you get the Holy Ghost moving in you again. It's amazing how you just get joy and peace rising up and start feeling pretty good. But as long as you're standing there resisting, you're, you're holding to the back of that pew with your knuckles turning white. Your face is all red. And you refuse to give in. And that preacher keeps pounding. And he pounds and he pounds and he pounds. And pretty soon your fingers start lifting a little bit. Losing their grip. Your face starts changing just a little bit. And you start getting a little bit of, oh, yeah, this is right. Oh, yeah, the spirit of truth is in the house. Yeah. Woo-ha. Yeah, feeling pretty good now. Paul said it this way, not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power and the Holy Ghost. See, I'm starting to feel like I've moved, we've moved beyond the, the mad stage. You've dropped your rocks. You're saying, oh, this is good. Go ahead. Let, go ahead. Kill me. Yeah, this feels good. It's amazing how good it feels. Isn't it? Isn't it? God knows best. I don't. Look at your neighbor and say, God knows best. I don't. And he often will often cross your thinking. And make you out to be a liar. (laughs) Y'all doing okay out there? Hello, in the back, sat, back 40 there. Hallelujah, brother. <laughs> I love the Lord, don't y'all? Don't, isn't, isn't it neat to go in here and see what the early church was really like? Preaching from a perspective of passion. If you're not passionate about this, you don't know the God I know. Mm. What's this? Okay, he told him what to do. Repent, be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? The remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's not an organization or denominational thing. It's the word of the living God. And how can you possibly misinterpret that? Tell me. Well, it don't really mean that. Oh, really? What does it mean then? You tell me, what does it mean when it says repent? And what does it mean to be water baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the Holy Ghost? You give me your interpretation if I am misinterpreting it. Where did you get your doctrine? Where did you get what you preach from? Where'd you get the spirit you have? You can go in religious systems and churches and get a spirit. And it's a religious spirit. And it's not the Holy Ghost. You can walk in churches and start speaking in tongues. You didn't get the spirit of Jesus. You've got a spirit that mimics the spirit of Jesus. That's why it's very serious. 
to go to a church that does not preach what the apostles preached. Because you walk in there and you think you're getting the spirit of Jesus. When really what it is, it's a spirit that mimics the spirit of Jesus. Where did you get your doctrine and where did you get your spirit? Give us your pedigree. Show us your pedigree, your roots. Where you came from. What spirit you're of. Who is your father in ministry? Who is your father in ministry? What did he preach? Show me your pedigree. Because if, if they don't preach this, they don't preach the apostles' doctrine. And a lot that goes on in Charisma today and a lot of churches today is nothing but spirits who mimic I feel the Holy Ghost. I've never preached this in my life. What, they, what those spirits did was, they walked through the church doors here or the church doors somewhere else in an apostolic Pentecostal church. Those spirits walked in there and they observed. And they watched Brother Mark, the way he moves and the way he speaks in tongues and the way he responds to God. They watched all of that. They saw that. And then they walked out of a true church. And they went to another church and they went in there. And they moved in there. Those spirits started mimicking what they saw here. That's why some of those churches can stand up and say, this is not necessary. But it still looks like the real thing. Because a mimicking spirit saw what happened. Seductive spirits and doctrines of devils. God said seducting, seductive spirits and doctrines of devils. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Can you present your pedigree today? Can you show us today how you got saved? Is it in this holy Bible? Or did you hear something that sounded like what they preached that was just a counterfeit you can learn you can teach your human spirit to speak in tongues I said you can teach your human spirit to speak in tongues and it's not God wow that, I'm telling you what church I have never had that kind of revelation I've been preaching for almost the whole time I've been saved. And I've never had a revelation of how spirits operate. They move into the house of the real and go to the house of the counterfeit. And mimic the house of the real and the house of the counterfeit. And make people there feel like they are ready to meet God. See, God is going to... Yeah, look in the Psalms. The psalm says this. In the psalms it says, This man was born there. And this man was born there. And this man was born there. Talking about in Zion. They could present their pedigree. They could prove they were born in Zion. Can you prove it? This man was born here. Yeah, this man was born here. I know his pedigree. This man was born here. I know his pedigree. 
this man was born here. I know his pedigree. This sister was born here. I know. You know, I can go through and I can tell. Where is your pedigree? Who was your spiritual father? What did he preach? What experience did you experience? Friend, this is the pattern. The book of Acts, church, is the prototype. You are the genotype. But in the world today, there is a counterfeit. Father, I thank you right now. That right now in this house, God, you are setting individuals free. From doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. Lying spirits. You are destroying them by the power of your sword. Church, I can produce my pedigree. I can produce my pedigree. I can tell you the day. I can tell you the time. I can tell you where. And I can tell you who my spiritual father was in birthing and my spiritual father in ministry. I can tell you all of that. That's what qualifies me to stand behind this pulpit. I know who my spiritual father was in birthing and my spiritual father in ministry. I can tell you who both of them are right now. And it wasn't a man thing. It was a God thing. Hello, church. When we stand before God someday, God's going to say, where's your pedigree? Where's your wedding garments? The psalm said, yeah, that man was born in Zion. That man was born there. That man was born there. They could produce their pedigree. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? You're not going to hear this in a charismatic system. They don't want you to understand. Does this help anybody? If it does, give God praise. So they said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's cut and dry. It's cut and dry. How can you possibly misinterpret that? And when Peter, oh yeah, wow, I'm almost through. Can you imagine? We've only preached from two verses. It's taken us two hours to do that. Because the Holy Ghost is in this house. Aren't you thankful for the truth? Aren't you thankful that you can produce your pedigree? Aren't you glad that you've got birthmarks? I've got birthmarks. Hello, somebody. The Bible says this. For the promise. Say the promise is unto you and to your children. The promise is to you and to your children. At this time, he's preaching to, preaching to Israel. To you and your children. It's not just for the 12. Hello! It's not just for us. It's not just for some spiritual elite. It's not just for the 12. In fact, 120 just got it. 3,000. Same day. Holy Ghost arithmetic. 1, 11, 120, 3,000. 
They could all. Can I ask you a question? How could they know? There was a, a pedigree. There was a definite experience. And they could say, yes, you were born in Zion. Today was your birthing place. You got the Holy Ghost. You spoke in tongues. We took you to the temple. Well, in fact, let me just put it this way. They were already in the temple. Because the Old Testament temple, when the glory filled that place, is a type and a shadow of what happened on the day of Pentecost. And so now they became the temple. Hello, temple of God. Hello, house of God. Hello, heaven. Hello, Jerusalem of God. Hello, Zion. So they were already at the temple. They got the Holy Ghost there at the temple. And then, there in the temple were baths. Baths. Sister, what do they call those baths? Mikvahs, right. Mikvahs. They call them mikvahs. Where did they baptize all those people in Jesus' name on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 of them. They baptized them there at the temple in the mikvahs. Give God praise. That's how they knew. They didn't just say, well, we think you got it. We think you. We're not real sure, but you might have. <laughs> now, Pastor, you're being a little rude here, don't you think? Because you kind of point out people. Certain people say, I wonder, do you really have it? Do you really have it? Do you really have it? Aren't you kind of rude doing that, Pastor? No. We've got to make sure. And if you're offended by that, they could be lost if we don't have boldness and say, are you born yet? Show me your papers. Give me your birth certificate. Y'all got the point, right? Okay. For the promises unto you and to your children, not just for the 12, not just for the 120, but 3,000. And then it goes on in another 5,000. Then it talks about multiplication taking place. So we go from addition to multiplication. How big do you see the kingdom of God growing? Do you see it just little bitty revolving all around just about you? Honey, God is showing us awesome things. He's opening doors for us, church, to get two complete blocks of property so that in the future we can build a new sanctuary. Not because we just want a new place, but because God is going to fill this one up to overrunning. I, I, I had a dream a few days ago. I can't even tell you about it because I'm not sure if it's God. But if it's God, this church is moving into awesome destiny. But at the same time, if it's God, we're also going to have opposition from spiritual religious men in this city. But at the same time, God showed me a man I've never met in my life, but I know who he is. He showed me a man who rose up and stood, and as I was coming in confrontation with other religious ministry, this man rose up, and he's an apostolic man. He rose up, and he, he, when I stood my ground, he stood there with me. And another man that's associated with him stood there and clapped his hands and did this to me. And it wasn't in this sanctuary. 
And so, because I don't know all the details or how it may all work out or if he was even God. I've got to wait for it to see. It, and I believe it has something to do with me going to Ohio tomorrow. But I'm telling you, God is an awesome God. I'm not playing church. This is church. It's real. God's real. You can play around and act religious and all, you know, pharisaical all you want to. But I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for a move of His Spirit. I'm hungry for the truth. I'm hungry to see His kingdom established in this earth. Show me your papers. Who is your spiritual father? Promises unto you and to your children. And to all that are afar off, afar off, afar off can be space and time. You can be afar off time-wise. You can be afar off space-time, space-wise. I don't want to be afar off space-wise. I don't want to be distant from God, nor do I want to be afar off time-wise. I want to be right where God wants me to be. Hell, hell can fight us, but I'm going to be right where God wants me to be. And unbelief can rise in the house. I don't believe it, but it's not going to stop what God's doing. Because he closed the gap. I'm no longer a far off time-wise or space-wise. Excuse me. Are you a far off today? Are you distant from God? I know you're geographically in church. You're geographically in church, but you can geographically relocate and can be completely out of the will of God. Because it's not just about going to a geographical place of worship. It's about being planted and being in the will of God Almighty. Give God some praise. You can be sitting here right now and be afar off. I said you can, I, I can be behind this pulpit right here and be afar off. My mind's somewhere else. My spirit's somewhere else. My life's somewhere else. It's not about just coming to church, walking through the door. Where is your spirit? Where's your heart? Where's your mind? Where's your dedication? Where's your commitment? Where's your loyalty? Where's your contribution? Where's your participation? They were far off. And so can we be. It's not just about walking through the church doors. We're talking about a spiritual dimension. I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove it to you. In Luke chapter 16, the Bible talks about that between Abraham's bosom, Abraham's bosom, and Hades, there is a great gulf fixed. Say, great gulf fixed. Where am I? Thank you, brother. Right here. Paradise, Hades. Great goal fixed. That's Old Testament. This is New Testament. But I'm not going to pre- I'm not preaching heaven and hell, but I want to show you something. The great gulf fixed is the same thing as being afar off. There's a gulf in your life 
You're caught suspended in animation. You're caught suspended between two worlds. The world of the heavenly and the world of hell. And I'll tell you where it's located. The, the gate of hell and the gate of heaven is located in the same place. It's in your mind. And yeah, I believe in a literal hell and I believe in a literal heaven. Don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you that in you, there can be a great goal fixed so that you are suspended in animation between heaven, the heavenly, and hell. The gate is in the same place. Do you understand what I'm telling you? And so when it says, this gospel is preached to you, your children, those that are far off, literally those that are in a gulf. The word gulf there literally is a medical term, which means a gaping wound. And it speaks to you of the work of the cross. The gaping wound of Jesus Christ is the only way to be reconnected to God. It's the only way to be put back in covenant with God. It's not being a son of Abraham naturally. Your natural descent does not determine it. You can produce your natural pedigree for the rest of your life. But can you produce a spiritual pedigree? The only way into this covenant is by the gaping womb of Jesus Christ. That's what that word gulf means. You get the point? And the Bible said that the rich man died and was in hell. And what did he do? He prayed. He pleaded for a drop of water. He said, I want the river i want the water of the spirit i need the spirit abraham's my father naturally but i need a spiritual regeneration i need some water on my tongue for i am tormented in these flames and i thought sir you said you were a son of abraham that you called him father abraham natural pedigree will not save you it's only a spiritual birthing that saves you and it's through the gaping womb of Jesus Christ that gulf is brought back together. Come on, are you with me here? That we are reconnected back to God by spiritual birthing. Has nothing to do with natural birthing. So he says this. If you'll repent, be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, from your sins shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He looked, Jesus looked at one man in the Gospels. And he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Which means he was close, but not in. You're not far from the kingdom. Say far. Is this, is the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all those that are afar off. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Give God praise. So that Jesus came in this world to reconnect us back to God. And it's only through his gaping womb and the finished work of the cross that you can find a spiritual pedigree. Hello, somebody. Are you in the genealogy of Jesus Christ today? You can say that you are naturally a descendant of Abraham, but that does not make you right with God. Give God a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> For the promise unto you and your children and all that are far off, hello, that, all spoke, that speaks to the Gentiles. 
We were alienated from the covenants of God. God gave the covenants to Israel. Come on, somebody. The only reason why that I can participate in the covenant that God made with Israel is because I joined myself with the mediator of the covenant. Because none of the covenants was given to the Gentiles. They were given to Israel. So how can I participate in the blood covenant or the new covenant? Because I'm joined to the mediator of the covenant. That's the only possible way. That is awesome, man. God said, I've got a way to get those Gentiles in here. And all through those prophets, Isaiah, etc. Prophet Isaiah, he rose up and he prophesied about the Gentiles coming to thy light. He said, oh, he said, I will give to you the diadem. I will give you the crown. What he says is, I'm going to let you manifest my kingdom. Hello! I'm going to call forth an Esther in the last days that's going to rise up and manifest the kingdom. I'm going to do away with a Vashti system. Hello, church. Give God some praise. <clears throat> the promise is unto you, your children, and all that are far off. How many of y'all feel far off today? You can be reconnected. Reconnect. <clears throat> no, I don't want to really, really, I don't really want to go there. But I have to. In case you don't know it, this new birth is what puts you or regenerates you. But do you also know that when you get in the kingdom of God, there's a reconnection fee to the priesthood? A reconnection fee for the priesthood. If you don't believe me, read the prophet Malachi. You know what the reconnection fee is? Your tithes and your offerings. You read it. Do you think God just put Malachi 3 and verse 8, just put it in there for nothing? It's in the context of the whole thing. You look at Levi, who was the priesthood. I know we're in the order of Melchizedek, priesthood, but there's a message there. Come on, somebody. Which, which, just hey, God. I'm, in, I'm still in the book of Acts. Do you have your spiritual pedigree? All right, let's go on. Hmm, I don't want nothing to do with those mimicking spirits that mimic Jesus. That's why we've got to walk very close to God. And that's why sometimes, I'm not talking about myself, but sometimes men of God can discern things you don't discern. And you sit around and you look at it from your carnal perspective. And you say, I can't believe that they talk to them like that. Or I can't believe they deal with them like that. And you have no idea what they're involved in. You don't know the spirits. See, God wants us to get real. God wants you to be real. He wants you to be the church. Woo! Where is his honor? You know where it is? It's right here. Read Malachi. All you big shot theologians. I love y'all. I love y'all. I give God some praise. Don't get mad at me again. See, I, you know, what I'm doing here is like I, I, I take you through stages. You go, in, you go through dimensions. You go from a dimension of, of furious, vehement agitation of mind to great power and victory and joy. And then all of a sudden, I make you mad again. 
Because that's what church is all about. Watch. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Is he still calling today? Is he still inviting today? Is he? Listen, he's not just sending out an invitation. He's summonsing you. Remember, Ahasuerus summoned Vashti. She said, no, I'm throwing my own party. So he said, okay, you take her and execute her. And you take, about, you take away her inheritance. Because I summoned her and she wouldn't come. So we'll, we'll call forth an Esther, another, a new queen. She'll, she will come forth. This is linked to that. He is literally summonsing you to come forth. Watch. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Come on, you with me? He didn't just write you an invitation. He said, get out of here. <laughs> it's a summons. Go study these words, you theologians. Watch this. Listen. I went to the radio station the other day. And, and I sat down at the radio station. And Chuck, he's an awesome guy. He's, he's uh, one of the, I guess you would call him, what would you call him? An operator? Director. Okay. And, and I sat down with Chuck, and I, and, and I love him. He's just, he's, I love him. I love him. He's just an awesome guy. And anyway, we got to talk. And he cries, and we cry. And he cries, and we cry. We're talking about the things of God. I mean, there's something real spiritual moving there. And I guess because on the radio broadcast, sometimes I, I say, hello, all you theologians out there, that he thinks there's theologians in our church. <laughs> and so I got, to talk to, I got to talk to Chuck a little bit. I'm, I'm going to be respectful and not pass y'all. Uh, I got to talk to Chuck, and I start talking to him about uh, uh, Hannah and, and then, uh, you know, the other one that's married to Elimelech. Uh, What's her name? Panana, I think. Panana. And I was talking about the Panana and the Hannah, the difference between Panana and Hannah, you know, and that you got a Panana church system and you got a Hannah church system. And he looks at me and he says, you know, he said, I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. All, I don't understand a lot of that. He said, I know you got a lot of theologians in your church. <laughs> he said, he, he said I, I know y'all get deep. I know y'all get deep there. He said, I know y'all got a lot of theologians in your church. He said, I I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't understand all of these things, you know. <laughs> Hello, all you theologians. <laughs> he don't know how I'm using it. <laughs> no, it's good if you're a theologian. You know, you know the Word of God. It's good if you are. But sometimes I really have problems with theologians because they know it all. Till we bust them in the head a few times. All right, y'all ready? Whew. Say, he's calling us. He's summonsing us. He's not just initiate. He's not just inviting you. He didn't just send out an invitation later. Say, get in here. He does it with fire, with warning, with like a sword. You know, it's violent. It's violent. It's violent. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves. What? I thought God's the only one can save me. He is. But it's when you obey that form of doctrine which was delivered the apostles. When you obey that doctrine, then you are participating in the work of God. It's not a work of salvation. It's a work of grace. 
It's not a work of the law. It's a work of salvation, a work of grace to be water baptized in His name, to repent and be filled with the Holy Ghost. The law didn't produce forgiveness for me. The law didn't produce the Holy Ghost for me. The law didn't produce the name of Jesus for me. Salvation did what He did for me. Do you understand? So you can go through life playing mental gymnastics, religious and spiritual gymnastics. I'm okay. You're okay. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. You can't tell me any different. Who do you think you are judging me? I'm not judging anybody. This book is. It judges me. So we can go through life playing this game. Or we can, we can get serious and get real with Jesus. And start doing what this book says. Or go about doing our own thing. And preaching our own philosophy. And I don't care if you come or you go. You stay here. You don't stay here. You better get planted somewhere. Because you're going to have to produce your spiritual pedigree at some point in your life. Give God some praise. If not, God will never use you the way He wants to anoint you. That's what qualifies you for ministry, not the denomination organization you're a part of. It's you have a spiritual father. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm going to drive that home, and I'm going to drive it home, I'm going to drive it home. And you know what? When that happens, you know what happens? Joshua, listen, when he took them across into the promised land, he circumcised them. You know what God said to those people who were circumcised and they were in pain? He said, you stay in the camp. When the ministry or the Father hurts you, listen church, when the Father that God has set you under hurts you, I'm not talking about being malicious. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm talking about that Holy Ghost directed Loving hand of the Father. You know, I'm not talking about maliciousness stuff. Okay. <laughs> but when that Father does circumcise you, you will be tempted to run. You can't. You have to stay in the camp till the wound is healed. Joshua looked at him and said, Stay in the camp till the wound is healed. Give God some praise. Well, they hurt my feelings. Honey, you don't want to gamble with your future. You stay in the camp till that circumcision, hurt, you know, is healed. Paul circumcised Timothy. He didn't win Timothy to God. Timothy was already one to God. Paul circumcised Timothy to mark him in ministry. Not to put him back under the Judaic law or the Old Testament law. But to mark him as a son in ministry. Every true son has to be circumcised by a father. If not, they can never be used by God. And every true ministry has to wear the clothes of their father, their daddy, in order to be anointed as a priest. And they have to wear it seven days. Do you understand what I'm trying? I don't know why I'm going off on this stuff. But evidently somebody needs this. People go, well, do you got your degree? <laughs> yeah, I'm about a thousand degrees. <laughs> no, let me change that. I'm about a billion degrees. Wow, never seen anybody that had a billion degrees. You're looking at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, you're talking about uh, being an adopted son? Are you asking me if I'm an adopted son? That I went over to a, a Bible college somewhere and, and got an adopted father? Or, uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, are you talking about a denomination that, that I'm, I'm a son to an organization? Are you kidding me? I am not an adopted son to a Bible college or an adopted son to an organization. I, am, I have a spiritual father who brought me to the, to the truth, and I have a spiritual father who sired me in ministry, who, mar- who marked me both ways. I've been cut by both. I've been cut by the father who sired me, brought me into the church, and I've been cut by the father who marked me in ministry. If you're not willing to go through that, you don't want to be here. But if you want to be used by God, that is God's way. Don't be an adopted son. Bible colleges have no feeling. Organizations have no feeling. Hello? Woo, wow. Isn't God good? And with many other words that he testifying, he's saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Say, I've got something I need to do. I'm just not going to wait around for God to do it. I'm going to qualify. There's certain qualifications I've got to meet. Hello? Hello, sniper. Say, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Or a crooked generation. See, I don't have time. I'd be preaching to you all day long, but we could talk about Leviathan, that crooked serpent, Isaiah 27, verse 1. When it talks about an untoward generation, it's talking about a seed, a generation or a seed of the devil. Serpent seed. Peter's preaching to church, to the nation of Israel. He says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. This seed of Leviathan. Hello, wake up. He also says it to you. You're like a worm. You're crooked like a worm. Study the words. You're crooked like a worm. In fact, the old Adam nature is a worm. Job says the Adam nature is a maggot. Aren't you glad to know that your first father was a maggot? Look at your, look at your neighbor and say your daddy was a maggot. You don't talk to me like that about my daddy. Why are you talking to me about my daddy like that? Calling my daddy a maggot. Job says Adam, the first Adam, was a maggot. He was a worm. That's why when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, I'm a worm and no man. He took on the form of the first Adam. He's the last Adam. I got a new father. Even Jesus, before he started his ministry, there was a voice that said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. So he was marked in ministry. You're better than Jesus. You don't need to have a father mark you. Read Hebrews 5. Look at your, daddy and say, look at your, look at your neighbor and say, Your daddy was a maggot. He was an untoward generation. He was a crooked seed. Something's got to change in you. Look at Sister Angie looking at the brother. brother. Something's got to change in you, brother. Look at that. 
you know, I think she's got a little bit of, you know, Brother Jonathan's uh, race in her. She got that. <laughs> she, she looks at Brother Patty and says, you got it, son. You got change. <laughs> Because your daddy was a maggot. He's a worm, a crooked generation. Literally, you study snake, dragons, worms. Oh, man, boy, that's the way to build a church, isn't it? Call everybody there, a bunch of, bunch of dragons, a bunch of snakes, and a bunch of worms, a bunch of maggots. And your daddy was a maggot? <laughs> and your mama? <laughs> I don't know what she was. I told you before, if I don't get you by anointing, I will get you by shocking you. You don't believe it? You read that book of Acts, that second chapter. I showed you how they shocked them. Hello, somebody. Oh, oh now we want to play this game. Not me. Not my daddy. Not my mama. Don't play your funny games with me. Do you know that Abraham, listen to me. You go to Ezekiel 16. Abraham, the father of the faithful, God says, he tells him exactly who his mama and who his daddy were. They were idolaters. Hello? Oh, but we don't, we don't want to talk like that, right? Because we're in America. <laughs> Are y'all okay? Say crooked generation. Uh, oh, get off of it. You know why it hits, hits home? Because it's true. That's why it hits home. Get the, get, the, get the votes out. Send them down the aisles. Record what they think. Then I'll go outside and throw them in the trash. I, just, I really don't care. God looks at that old nature as demonic, serpentine, leviathan. She, listen, your soul, in case you don't know it, honey, your soul is called a woman in the Word of God. She is likened to a whore in the Bible. That's why your soul must be saved. It's getting saved. Your spirit's already saved, but your soul will is being saved, and your body will be saved. So that your soul is called a woman. She, in the book of Proverbs, is seen as a harlot. That's, is, ooh, yeah. And, but she can become a Shulamite. So get off of me, all you sophisticated people. I'll just tell it to you like this. Your daddy was a maggot and your mama was a whore. And I'll tell you what I'm talking about spiritually. Your soul and the old man, the old Adam. And if you don't like it, I got Bible to prove it, honey. David said this about her, his soul. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. He being a man said his soul was a woman. I know you don't like that. I know you don't like that. But hallelujah. If I'm going to get stoned, I might as well get stoned for saying something. If I'm going to lose my membership. Might as well do it saying something. 
See, if you study the Word of God and you look at women, you look at the evil woman, you look at the, the righteous woman, it's talking about your soul. That's why your soul has to be saved. Now watch this. Okay, y'all still with me? Say, save yourselves. Well, I don't need saving. Because I'm not a part of a corrupt seed. I'm not a part of a, you know, a crooked seed. I'm not a worm. Are you here? Wow, that's good, isn't it? I wish, I tell you what you do sometime. You go over there to read Deuteronomy chapter 32. It's a messianic song of Moses. And you see the way God spoke to his people, Old Testament, Old Covenant people. And what he said about them being crooked and perverse and corrupt. You read it. It will blow your mind. And he's not talking to people in the world. He's talking to the church. But they walked around like so many today. You're not talking to me. Walk up there in Jeremiah chapter 7 and say, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. God has already pronounced judgment. It's going down. And they're standing there saying, Now nah, this temple will be here forever. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Full of pride, self-confidence. Hello, are you there? <laughs> Lord, have mercy. You know, I'm really in the will of God because I'm really starting to feel like got to walk carefully. Jesus, when he walked on the water, he walked on the abyss. That is the abode in Jewish theology. That's the abode of the serpent. And so when Jesus came, he came not to play games with the serpent. He came to walk on him. He came to crush his head. That's why when they would pray, thy kingdom come. It wasn't thy kingdom come. Kingdom of God come. And when they said it, they would lift up their foot and go, kingdom of God come. Kingdom of God come. As a command. It's a picture of the head of the serpent being crushed. Save yourselves from this serpentine seed. This demonic seed. This dragon-like seed. Be delivered from it. Crush its head. How many kingdom of God is going to come in your life? See, some of y'all are upset at me because I've gone, I've preached so long. Started at 1030 and it's already 1230. I've been preaching two hours. Some of you are mad about that. I'm going to cry. When I went to Taiwan, I was jet lagged, still had to preach, and their services were six to eight hours long. And he showed no mercy on me. Brother Edmonds, he is, I'm, I'll stand up here and tell you when he comes. I'll, I'll look him in the eyeball. He's unmerciful. Jet lagged, out of my brain, out of my mind. Still made me preach every time. Three-day conferences, not three services, three-day, full-day conferences. I'm dying. And you're just uncomfortable. I was hurting. I didn't want to go before I went. Because I knew what was waiting for me when I got there. <laughs> we had church though. 
We had church. And we saw demons run out of that house. We saw men stand up and confess that they were in rebellion against Brother Edmonds. Those spirits. God showed me a vision before I ever went. He showed me stand up and deal with those spirits in Taiwan. And when I went there, God told me to preach. And I didn't even know for sure that it was there. And I stood up and I preached it. And when I got through, men stood up. Leadership men stood up and said, I've rebelled against you. And God defeated those spirits. You just go the way God tells you to go. With many other words, did he testify and exhort? Look at this exhortation. Look at these words. Passion. Saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Oh, that's enough on that one. Then they that gladly received his word. Now look at this. They have gone through, so to speak, the gamut of emotion. Conviction. Anger. And now they turned all that around and they got glad. See, I always tell you, you can get glad in the same shoes you got mad in. And it really don't matter to me how long you take. But eventually, you're going to have to do it. Well, I think I'll just sit out of church for three or four months. It's not hurting me. It breaks my heart. It's going to affect you. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Say, we're baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000, say with me, souls. Souls. My soul shall make her boast. Her boast in the Lord. The whore got saved. I know you don't like Let me just put it. Let me, let me get a little bit. Let me use a little bit easier word, harlot. Y'all like that better, don't you? Whore, that's just too confrontational and it's too in your face, right? I mean, so let me use terms like harlot or prostitute. Your soul was a prostitute. Your soul was a harlot. She had been married five times. The one she was living with was not her own. But Jesus comes along, the seventh man. Hello, y'all. You okay? <laughs> Try to drive it, drive it home to you. They were adding them about 3,000 souls. Say, she got saved. Or she's getting saved. Woo! And here we go. Now, some of y'all might want to leave right now. Because if that first part didn't hurt, this is about to. Give you a chance. You're tired. Got stuff cooking. Husbands. Never mind. And they continued. Say continued. Continued? What are we talking about? Continue? I didn't think if you started anything, you're supposed to finish it. I mean, isn't that the generation we live? That starts something but never finish, right? Start all kinds of things but never finish. Do you know, let me tell you something, church. You're looking at a man who realizes that in his life, in times past, that he would, get, he would start things, but something would get a hold of him, he wouldn't finish it. And I'm telling you right now, truthfully, 
that I have had to overcome that spirit of, try, of getting things started and not finishing it. Letting things distract me. Letting things disturb me. Letting things, let people get into me. Let, Brother Edmonds told me a long time, he said, don't let them get to you. And I'm not talking about, oh, y'all think it's about the church? No, it's not about the church. I'm talking about before Christ. But when I got God, He completely transformed me. He changed me. In this age that says, start it, but don't finish it. Don't worry about it. Let somebody else do it. The Bible says they continued steadfastly. They didn't quit. They were passionate. Don't be a quitter. You're never going to get anywhere in life by being a quitter. Don't be a quitter in life. And don't be a quitter, especially in the kingdom of God. Because if you're not careful, you will set a pattern in your life that devils love. Because they're just waiting for you. Yeah, yeah, really getting fired up about doing something and doing it for a few weeks and then quitting. And, oh, we'll just go over here and do something else over here. Now, and then we, ah, nah, 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 nah. Oh, run over here. Come on. Say they continued steadfastly. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to finish this. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not running anymore. My running days are over with. I'm going to face it. I'm, I'm going to let him look me in the eyeballs. I'm going to let God deal with me. I'm not running anymore. I refuse to run anymore. I refuse to make excuses anymore. They're nothing but a bunch of lame excuses. I'm not running anymore. I'm going, to be, I'm going to learn to be dependable. I'm going to learn to be a man of character and a woman of character. I'm going to learn to be responsible. I'm going to learn to keep my word when I say it. I'm going to do it if it kills me. I'm going to finish when I start. <sighs> Hello. Luke's never said they continued. Well, I, I told you, I, I told you you could leave. Y'all getting the point now? Some of y'all, you're getting the spirit, aren't you? You're saying, I'm tired of running. I'm going to finish what I started. I'm not going to quit this time. I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to keep the faith. Because if you, listen, start out right and finish right. Because if you're not careful, you will start a pattern in your life where you start and then you stop. Then you start, then you stop, and you start. And you will always find yourself trying to play catch-up. And I'm not just talking about financially. And I'm not just talking about your family. I'm not talking, come on, are you here? You're always trying to play catch-up all the time. It can happen to you in the Spirit. Because if you get in the house of God, you start, but you don't finish. You quit for a while, get back in the house of God. But you'll notice something when that happens. When you walk back in the house of God, you will be amazed about how far the church has gone. And you will sit there in wonder and amazement saying, I've got to catch them. I've got to catch them. But they're not where they were when I left here. I've got to catch them. Look, they're way out there now. The glory is taking them a long ways. And you'll find yourself struggling to catch back up. 
That's why you got to continue steadfast. Once you get in this thing, there's no exits. Once you get in this thing, there's no doors to walk through to take you out. Once you, you need to make up your mind, I'm in it, I'm in it, I'm in it. Come hell, high water, death, life, whatever. I'm here. I'm going to be faithful to a church, be faithful to a pastor, be faithful to assembly, be faithful to God. I'm not going to hit miss anymore. I'm going to stop running. And I'm only going to go if God sends me out. Which means I'm going to die if he doesn't send me out. Because excuses are over with, honey. And I'm not going to give you an excuse for it. And you don't give me an excuse for it. Because excuses are over with. They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. You with me? Give God some praise. And in case you don't believe what I just said is in the apostles' doctrine, the Bible says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, so much more so. You see that day approaching Hebrews chapter 10? That has to do with assembling in the house of God. It has to do with your contribution, your giving, your prayer life, your participation, every aspect of church, ministry, and government, and way. Continue steadfast. Give God some praise. Be a man or a woman that that pastor can look at and say, I can depend on them. I can trust them. Don't be the man or the woman. I got to run and chase you down. I don't have time for that. Give God some praise. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Whose doctrine? The apostles' doctrine, which means they have one. I guess, but today we just, just discard whatever, right? They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The Bible says in the book of Jude, contending for the faith. Contending for the faith, which was once, and one translation, once and for all delivered to the saints. He called it a common salvation. Listen, contending for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints, which means it never did change, it never has changed, and it will not change as long as the church is here. Contending for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. And if it's been changed and diluted, men did it. That's Jude. Hello? Whose doctrine? Apostles' doctrine. Jesus prayed for us. He not only prayed for the 12 disciples, he said, I'm sending them out, the apostles. How do you, do you know I'm sent? Now, don't answer. <laughs> how many of you know I'm sent by God? You, do you know I'm sent by God? Or how can you know I'm sent by God? Well, let me tell you this right now. There's only the apostles I know for sure were sent by God. Because Jesus said that he sent them out. I know Jesus was sent. John was sent. Apostles were sent. I'm talking about it in the church time. They were sent by God. Right? <sighs> Jesus said this, Neither do I pray for these alone, but on those who will believe on me through their word. There's a way to believe on him, and it's through their word. 
So I know they were sent. As long as I preach what they preach, then I have a... <laughs> At least I know this. I might not know for sure how I'm sent always, but at least I know this, that I am preaching what those who were sent to preach, preached. Hello? Give God some praise. They continued steadfastly. They contended for the faith. I mean, they fought for the faith. It was no passive, laid-back junk. No, come on, church. They had church every day of the week. It wasn't just a Sunday and a Wednesday. And it wasn't just for two hours on a Sunday morning. They had church every day of the week. Man, it's awesome, isn't it? They should never say amen. They continued, st- they continued for the faith, which was once and for all delivered saints. That's what Jude says. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Say koinonia. They, they, koinonia. Koinonia. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching and then also in fellowship. Koinonia. What does that mean? Fellowship. Koinonia. It doesn't mean they just got together and had a good time. It doesn't mean they had a family night. We, ha- we have a family night. Okay? We have a lot of fun, don't we? We get together and have a good time with each other. Fellowship. There's nothing wrong with fellowship, you know, getting together, fellowship, and have a fellowship. It doesn't just mean getting together. Koinonia, fellowship, koinonia is the Greek word. It means this, participation. It means literally contribution. Participation and contribution. They assembled together. Number one, they never stopped going to church. They continued in the doctrine of the apostles. You with me? Faithful to church, faithful to the teaching, come on, participated in the activities of the church, which means this. If there was a prayer meeting going on, they all showed up. If it's a call prayer meeting, they all showed up. If it's the Lord's Supper, they all participate. Come on, are y'all here? If it's a revival, they all showed up. It didn't matter what it was. If it was called by the church, those people participated and contributed to it, made contribution to it. It's not just going to church. It's having an active involvement in it. What do you contribute to the bank account of the saints? What do you, come on. You have a bank account that you are contributing to as a saint. Do you constantly withdraw from the account of the saints? Or do you contribute to the account of the saints? Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I told you you don't want to hear that. No, you do because y'all are awesome people. Some of you. And some of you are on your way to becoming awesome people. (laughs) I have a vision for you (laughs) that you are not going to always be what you are now. That's what keeps me... Being gracious to you. (laughs) It's looking at you right now and saying, man, someday. What awesome man of God they will be. (laughs) 
will y'all, will y'all also bear with me? Will you also understand that I'm a human being? And that because of that, I have a propensity to make a mistake. You understand? So don't pack your bags when I make a mistake. Hallelujah. Because I've run across some people like that. I made a mistake. They got their stuff. Well, I don't have to go there anymore because he made a mistake. You're stupid. I say, you're stupid. I'll look, you in, I'll look him in the face and tell him that. Too. I say, you're stupid. We, listen to me. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. We have not arrived in a place of absolute perfection yet. I as a pastor see through a glass darkly, but someday face to face. Someday I will be per perfect, but I'm not that now. And if you are looking for me to make a slight mistake to give you license to leave, you, are, you have got the spirit of Antichrist in you. You've got the spirit of rebellion in you right now. You might as well get out of here now. You might as well not even wait for me to make a mistake. You might as well get out of here now. Because if you're waiting around, come, come. We'll stay here. Before this is over, I'll make a mistake. Do you understand what I'm saying? You better be careful. Give God some praise. Woo, hallelujah. Man, I came in here with some fire this morning, man. But y'all, y'all, y'all put y'all put it out, so I'm not worried about it. So it's all over. <laughs> hallelujah. I love y'all. I really do. Praise God. Y'all. Looks never say you're awesome. And if they're not awesome right now, prophesy to them. <laughs> You're awesome. Who are you talking? Talking to me? Me? Talking to me? Hallelujah. Jesus said, Simon or Shifty? Peter, rock. Which one am I? Simon, Shifty or Peter, the rock? Sometimes you'll have to look at me and say, Simon. <laughs> Sometimes I look at you and I say, Simon. And then some days I look at you and I prophesy and say, Peter. Amen. Rock. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Brother Patrick goes, me rock? <laughs> no, me shifty. <laughs> <laughs> like shifty sand, you know. That's why Jesus says sometimes, Simon, Simon, you're acting like Simon. You're all shifty, you know. Sometimes he looked at him when he wasn't acting like Peter, though, and he said, Peter? And Peter goes, huh? <laughs> no, my name's Simon right now. Oh, you're Peter. You with me here on this? Look at your name and say, you're awesome. And if you have to, prophesy to him, you're awesome. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad God has a vision for what you can become? And not what you are? Sometimes I have to tap into that vision. Show me God. <laughs> I 
Especially when I'm dealing with koinonia, with fellowship and contribution, especially then. Now, now, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. You know, you do what God leads you to do, but this gets me. I'm just going to give you my pet peeve. We get a contribution envelope, and it's got it down to the penny. $15.91. I told my wife, I said, thank God they don't have a half penny. Yeah, it would be $15.91. And I have sense. I'm saying, God, give me a vision of what they can become. But see, I'm sure the way y'all look at it is like, I am faithful to the penny. <laughs> that, that's the way you look at it. I'm faithful to the penny. Oh. Hallelujah. I'm just so tempted to just round it off to the nearest penny, man. <laughs> All right, no, it can't, can't be to the nearest penny because we don't have half pennies. Just n- round it off to the nearest nickel. <laughs> Y'all doing all right? What are you saying, brother? They true oneness? No, they're true, what? True Pentecostals. True Pentecostals. And true oneness. When it comes to koinonia, contributes, their contribution, their true oneness. They give the, the waiter more than they give God, but their oneness. And their Pentecost. Hallelujah. I love it. Isn't God good? Y'all having a good time? Like you're so afraid that God can't make up the dime. Get the calculator, husband. (laughs) Got to get this right on the penny. I thank God it's not point three 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 three. What would you do then? I'm asking you. I'm serious. You ran it off to the nearest penny right now. What would you do if it was point three 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 three? You would be in a dilemma. You would know wouldn't know what in the world to do with that point. You would call me up on the phone. You say, "Hey, Pastor, I'm at a point three 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 three. What do I do with that? I can get it to the nearest penny, but I can't do nothing with this point three 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 thing." Can you, can you give me revelation? Y'all okay? Oh, I've been drinking a little bit. Because you know we got to get it right down to the point, to the decimal. Because, I mean, I don't think God can make up the dime. <laughs> Man, some of y'all are looking for a way to give more instead of decreasing it. I, I'm looking for a way to give more. Hallelujah. Give God some praise, would you? Pastor, what do I do with point? And then point after that, and then a point after that. I don't know. 
Oh, man, I've been drinking again. <laughs> Hallelujah. You never know around here. Sometimes I let you out and come to church Wednesday night, preach 15 minutes, you go home. Then you wonder, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I went to see Sister Jolene in the hospital, you know. She's had, she had her baby, by the way. Went to the hospital. She said, uh, heard y'all got out at church real early last night, Wednesday night. I said, I was talking to her on the phone, that's what it was. She said, yeah, I heard y'all got out real early Wednesday night. She said, is everything okay, Pastor? <laughs> so if I preach for 15 to 30 minutes, you think there's something wrong with me. If I preach for three hours, you, you know, that's pretty normal. But I was a little bit agitated in mind Wednesday night. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? They continue to steadfast the apostle doctrine and koinonia, fellowship, participation, contribution. And in breaking of bread and in prayers. Say breaking of bread and prayers. Now I'm going to tell you what I, what I believe. Number one, this is the bread. This is the word of God, right? Hallelujah. Y'all let me finish Acts 2. Because I'm going to be gone. I won't be preaching to you Wednesday. Y'all be rid of me. And I'm not preaching tonight as far as I know unless God just takes over, you know. But uh, somebody else is going to tear us up. Hallelujah. But watch this. It says, okay, this is the word. This is the bread. But it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in breaking of bread. What is this breaking of bread? Number one, the word of God. But I am coming to more and more of the conclusion, and it's taken me a while to get there, that this also means the Lord's Supper. That's why we have picked up our time, or the, uh, when we take the Lord's Supper, instead of once or twice a year, to at least once a month. And really it'd be good if we did it every week. But here's my problem with doing it every week. Is that <clears throat> I can't get y'all in the spirit of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why we have been taking it every night. Because I can't get you in the spirit of it. And I'm not putting you down. Please, I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying that it, it takes something to get you in the spirit that you can look beyond the ceremony or the ritual. And, and I, we've tried to do it consecutively. But it's like we get in this mode, well, okay, we're just taking the Lord's Supper tonight and we're just taking and we'll leave. And, and, and I really can't get you in the spirit of what you're doing and how awesome and wonderful and beautiful it is and, and moving God and, and minister each other. You see what I'm saying? I, we'll get there. We'll get there as a church. We'll get there. But that's why we're not doing it ever night, every Sunday, okay? But I believe, hallelujah. Now, I was taught that this simply meant the Word of God, the breaking of bread. I was taught that it meant the Word preached, okay? But I'm beginning to believe that it's not just that, that it's actually the Lord's Supper. And that people are healed, that they walk in divine health if you, if you participate in that taking of the Lord's Supper. In fact, I'll tell it to you like this. I don't think it would be wrong for you to take it every day of your life. Because it doesn't have to be administered by the headship of the church. Because what you're doing, you're doing it as you're doing it in remembrance of Him. As often as you drink it, you do show the Lord's death till He comes. Which means you could do it every day of your life. And you pray, you pray, you fellowship, you get in the Word of God and then take the bread and body of Jesus, the body and, and, and blood of Jesus, or what it represents, you know, every day of your life. 
And I believe it produced divine health in your life. If you take it and understand and move into the spirit of it, not just the ritual of it. Okay? Oh, what a little bitty old pocket thing that's got cup, it's got a holder for the juice, and it's got a place for, for bread. I can take it every day. I can sit down with my family in devotionals and sit down and take it every day. But you have to get in the spirit of it. It's the same thing with anything else you do. Prayer, going to church, reading your Bible. You just get in, in, in a ritual. You just go to church. Don't know why. Don't know how. I mean, don't know what happened in your life. Just, but I went to church. Don't know what was preached. Don't remember a word he said. Got tired. Went to sleep on the pew. He preached for three hours. About killed me. That's what he was trying to do the whole time. That's what you didn't understand. Just give Sister Cardoza a banana. That's all she needs. You get a banana, and she'll be all right. Hallelujah. And some of y'all, too. Right? She went to the conference, and they were preaching and preaching and preaching. She said, just give me a banana. She's over there opening a banana behind a pew. You know, like a monkey. Pops her head back up. What are you doing? Yeah, she's... It's got her sugar fix, you know. Okay, anyway, praise God. Breaking the bread, though, to me, again, is moving into the Lord's Supper. And, and also, hallelujah, watch this. The Bible talks about that he will give the giants of the land as bread or as meat to eat. So that literally every day of your life, you can eat devils. You can eat giants like bread. When I pray, give us this day our daily bread. I'm not just talking about the food on my table. I'm talking about giants. He said he would give giants as bread to you to eat. So every day of my life, I'm going to say, God, give me a giant today. Give me my bread to eat today. I thank you for this bread, God, that's on my table. But I thank you for the giants in this land. And in breaking the bread and in prayer, say prayer. Prosecology, that's a big technical, double-jointed theological word. The doctrine of prayer. Do you know how important prayer is? They continue steadfast in, in the apostles' doctrine. Come on. In fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You don't know what the church is all about? I'm preaching. I'm telling you what it's about. It was a praying church. They knew how to get a hold of God. They understood prosecology. They understood that. Man, I'm telling you what. If we could get to it. We are a praying church. This is a praying church. But if we could just step it up. Step it up. Hallelujah. Even if you're praying, you've got to feel real big. Just say, I'm into some prosecology right now. What are you doing right now, Pastor? Prosecology. What's that? Prayer. <laughs> Doctrine of prayer. Hallelujah. Getting in touch with God. Windows of heaven are being opened up right now unto me right now. I'll tell you what. If this church would pray like God wants us to pray. Listen to me. Brother Andy, I saw him. It was about 5.30 the other morning. I saw him. He was fixing to go. He comes here at 4.30 in the morning, prays, then goes back home, sends his kids off to school. And I saw him about 5.30. And I walked up there. And the Holy Ghost came on me. 
And I started, I felt a prophetic anointing come on me. And I told him this. I said, there will come a time when you will have to pray the provision in. You will have to trust God supernaturally for your provision. You will not, you cannot manipulate it. You can't make it happen. You can't bring it in no matter how hard you try. You're going to have to supernaturally pray the provision of God into your life. Without telling anybody about your need. You just go straight to God. And you pray and you pray and you pray until you see God send it. Not calling so and so on the phone and saying, I need a hundred dollars right now. Or I need five hundred right now. I need a thousand right now. It's praying till it comes in. You pray, you touch the throne of God until you supernaturally see the provision come. And that's not going to give you license to go out there and be lax in your business. But I'm saying, having done all to stand, stand, doing everything you're supposed to do, you're still going to have to pray it in. Because what God has called you to do and what He's called me to do is impossible. What He's called you to do and what He's called me to do and what He's called this church to do is beyond the natural. It is supernatural. It must be divinely provided. There must be divine intervention to it. God is going to put the church in a situation where they will have to pray more. Pray. I want to ask you one question. How is your prayer life this morning? Do you have one? Is Sundays the only time you ever pray? Is Wednesdays the only time you ever pray? Prayer is so vital. It is vital. It's not if you want to, if you feel like it, it's convenient. It is vital. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the people that I could not pastor were people who did not have a prayer life. They were not in touch with God. They were not in touch with the Spirit. I could not. I cannot pastor the flesh. It is impossible for me to pastor you if you're not praying. Because you become so carnal. It's impossible for me to pastor you if I'm not praying. I can't preach if I'm not praying. You can't lead service if you're not praying. You can't sing if you're not praying. to be praying God, it's not about talent it's about anointing let you say pray 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 every day pray 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 when you pray there will be supernatural signs and wonders that will follow your life. And you will see supernatural provision come. And then you'll stand back and wonder at the hand of God. Because you'll know that God did it. You didn't do it. It was impossible. It, it was beyond the natural. It had to be supernatural. And when God does it that way and you prayed it in, then you'll stand up and testify to the glory of God. Look what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. You got to pray. I have to pray. If I don't pray, I'll be lost. I will succumb to that old worm.
Watch. So they fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Prayer meeting, a lot of times, the most unparticipated thing that the church does. But it's the most important thing the church does. All major revivals in history, when you study them in history, all major revivals came by fair, prayer, fair and pressing. Yeah. Fair and pressing. Prayer and fasting. Major men who locked themselves up with God, praying hours and hours and hours a day. Not walking into church just at five minutes till time to start and thinking we're going to have church. Are you with me? Hello. You need to go, go. I'm not through yet. You need to go, go. And I'm going to tell you something. When we pray, we pray in unity. Let's pray together. The men need to get back there in the prayer room together. Let's please, I'm not going to say, please go back there and pray with the men. Don't hang out here by your little lonesome and pray on your pew. We got a unified prayer meeting going on back there. Women, get back there and pray with the women. Don't hang out up here. Sister, we will you back there. Hallelujah. If you got to sit in the hall, that's fine. Just get in the spirit of that prayer. Hallelujah. All right? Amen. They, they need your prayer power. See what I'm saying? And I have a funny, I have a, honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I see certain people that have a tendency to kind of separate themselves from what goes on back there in those prayer rooms. And I have a problem with them. Because I know that they're in their flesh. And I have a tendency to believe that they're not back there because it's too hot. It's too powerful. There's too much sweating and too much tearing up. And hair is all discombobulated. And they're all messed up. There's, can't handle the heat. Can't handle the power. Can't handle the fire. Can't handle the conviction. Can't handle the spirits that's there. If we can't go and pray with our brothers and our sisters, I might have a spirit in me that don't like what's going on in there. So we need everybody to go in there and pray. 5.30 is prayer, you know, on Sundays. Then we pray in the mornings. I mean, then y'all ladies pray on Thursday nights. We need y'all to pray. We all need to pray. I guarantee you, if we'll go in there tonight at 5.30 and we'll pray, it'll be easy for whoever's going to preach to preach. They won't have to struggle through all the flesh. They won't have to struggle through all the, the, the mindsets and the demon powers and all of these things that are binding the people of God. These people are praying heaven. Listen to me. If you want what's in heaven, you've got to do what heaven does. How many of y'all want what's in heaven? Then you got to do what heaven does. And if you want to know what heaven does, read the book of Acts and the book of Revelation. There is praise and worship and intercession and awesome things going up there. Yeah, well, I pray enough. You don't either. Nor do I. We think once or twice a week is enough. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, watch with me. He said, pray. Could you not watch with me one hour? He said this. He said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you enter not into temptation. If we don't have at least one hour of prayer, we will enter into temptation. Wow. 
Now, I'm not just saying, oh, see, we can get into prayer, prosecology, that's another, another subject. But it's not just about us coming up here mouthing words, though. I mean, you can enter in, a, you can pray an hour and just mouth words. It's entering into the spirit of prayer. It's finding out what God, how God wants you to pray, and then pray it that way. Moving in the spirit of prayer. Spirit of prayer gets a hold of you. You prayed for an hour, didn't even know it was an hour. It's not like, well, like, let me see. I said this, I said this, I said this. It took me 15 minutes to say that. Come on! Enter into the spirit of prayer. Till you shake heaven and shake the foundations of hell. Till you have a move of God in your life. And London, thunder and lightning and earthquake is going off inside of you. You're like an explosion ready to take place. With me here? Do you remember Revelation? We saw a manifestation. We see people praying and a manifestation of thunder and lightning and earthquake. And thunder is the message of the most holy place. Lightning is the movement of the most holy place. And earthquake is a manifestation of the most holy place. And so that you need to have a move of God in your life that is like thunder, lightning, and a mighty earthquake. And the only way that can happen is if you do what heaven does, you'll get what heaven has. Hey. Hey. Woo, give God praise. <laughs> Say prayer. Y'all ready to pray? Awesome, God. Okay, let me finish. Let me finish. I've only got how many? Four more verses? Huh? Interact with me. How many verses do I got left? Okay, how many, what does that equal to? About five hours? <laughs> five days? <laughs> Hallelujah. Y'all going to be awesome. When it's all over, y'all are going to be awesome, man. You will. You will be. You will be awesome. You can't sit under the Word of God for hours upon hours without not being changed. It's impossible. Amen. All right, say in prayer. And fear, as a result of that, fear came upon every soul. I didn't think you were supposed to be afraid. You need the fear of God in you. Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Not the love of God, the fear of God. And from fear produces, what that produces love. Love doesn't produce fear, fear produces love. There goes your theology, honey. I got them talking to me. I got preachers talking to me. Preachers' wives talking to, to my wife. Yeah, well, we need to, you know, we need to love. And, you know, like we don't. <laughs> like they're accusing us, we don't love. You know, they're telling us, well, we think we need to love people. My wife says, oh, you're saying we don't love people. Fear produces love, not love, fear. I mean, you with me here? Come on. Give God some praise. Man, I love you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Everything's all right. Everything's cool. And fear came upon every soul. Say every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. How many want wonders and signs to be done by the apostles? How many of y'all would like to be used by God, wonders and signs? Read what's above it. The gift of the Holy Ghost, the word gift is doria. When it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, it's charismata or grace gifts. You with me? The gift of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit is not even the same word. 
The gifts of the Spirit are produced from the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can't have the gifts of the Spirit without the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can't have charis- uh, the charismatol without the doria. You with me? You can't have the gifts of the Spirit without the gift of the Holy Ghost. Do you understand what I'm saying? But unusual manifestation is what a sign or a wonder is. It's an unusual manifestation of God. And God always brings an unusual manifestation for revelation. He doesn't just show up on the scene to throw his weight around, just to throw his weight around. He manifests himself for revelation. When he works a sign or a wonder, he manifests himself to reveal himself. Give God praise. Not just show, he can put on a show and put on a display, but it's for revelation. We need a revelation of Jesus. Right? Unusual manifestation. Wonders and signs. Brother Dice used to say a wonder was something make your eyes pop out. Wow. When was the last time you ever made anybody's eyes pop out? I know you've made them throw up many a times. Hallelujah. Wow. Look at God in that person. Wow. Has anybody ever done that when you were around them? They go, wow. Huh? <laughs> you have to think about that one, huh? <laughs> Praise God. When you talk about signs and wonders. Hallelujah. Do you make anybody's eyes pop out? What does a sign do? This is what we were taught. What does a sign do? It tells you how far or what the direction is. It's pointing you to your destination. So a sign is given or an unusual manifestation is given for revelation. Right? A sign is given to teach you about your destination. Right? Brother Dice used to teach us about this. He said, when you go up and you're driving down the road, you don't get out of your car and look up at the sign and just stare at the sign. He said, the sign says, go on. Keep going. Don't just look at the sign. The sign is given to point you to destination. Say, go on to your destination. A A manifestation is given for revelation. Watch this, okay? And originally, I did the word study yesterday on this word and it literally means an unusual manifestation and it's likened to guess what thunder wonder the wonder of thunder lightning something supernatural earthquake meteorites it's linked to that so that what happens is people start you know what God is literally working a sign and a wonder when you're exploding. When you are, listen, when you are like thunder in your message. And you are like lightning in your movement. And you are like an earthquake in manifestation. That's a wonder. It doesn't have to be the lengthening of a finger that's short. The lengthening of a leg that's short. It doesn't have to be that. It can be you just going off in the glory of God. 
being like what's around the throne room, thunder and lightning and a great earthquake. That's what that word means. But it's given for what? Revelation. That's why you see it clearly depicted in the book of Revelation. And the Revelation is not just there so you can learn about the Antichrist and bugs as big as Volkswagens and Godzilla monsters walking down the street. It's a revelation of Jesus. All those signs, he signified it. Or he signified it in the book of Revelation. Which means, why did he give it? To teach you Jesus. To give you a revelation of Jesus. It's not a revelation of Antichrist and big bugs and Godzilla monsters walking down the street. It's a revelation of Jesus. That's why he gave the sign. Oh, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting your dinner. I don't even know the difference between dinner and lunch. I took a coupon in a restaurant one time. It said half off at dinner time. I walked in there at lunchtime, thought I was going to get half off, and I had to pay full price. So I don't even know the difference between dinner and lunch. See, down home, <laughs> dinner to me is 12 o'clock. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting your lunch or your dinner, either one. Okay, I, I, yeah. But you need an, an unusual manifestation of God in your life. And the reason for that is because it gives a revelation of Him. Do you understand the reason for the book of Revelation? Ooh, we want to go in there and find out what the mark of the beast is all about. Ooh, we want to find out why, what the beast, who the beast is. Wonder who the Antichrist is. Wonder what his name is. All of that. Can I tell you what God is doing? He's showing you. He's taking all of that away, out of the way. So that you can see Jesus clearly. Give God some praise. And so he says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Hallelujah. That doesn't mean that it can't be done by spirit-filled people. These signs shall follow them that believe. And there were more than 12 apostles, by the way. Barnabas, I believe, was called an apostle. He wasn't of the 12. In the book of Acts, he's called an apostle. I'm glad to see you doing that, sister. Hallelujah. No, you don't need to apologize. You need to bring your lunch. You bring your lunch. We understand what you're dealing with. You got to eat something right here. You are, you are excused to do so. Hallelujah. Okay? Praise God. Isn't that awesome? If she had come like she is and had major, major surgery and dealing with sugar diabetes, and still comes sitting here and listening to me preach for three hours. If you need to suck on grape juice or eat, you go right ahead. It won't bother us a bit. Now, the rest of you. <laughs> hey, can I? <laughs> yeah, you mean that? That's right. And here's my water. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, what's this? <clears throat> All right, so you see, you understand the signs and the wonders then is to bring revelation of Jesus. 
And, the, and all that believed were together and had all things common. Now, I do not believe some people would teach this from a perspective of making the church uh, a socialistic movement <clears throat> or communistic movement and, and that the grounds for communism in the church is found in this scripture. I don't believe that. Which means this, they took all the possessions, sold it, and came in and brought it in a common pot. I don't believe that. I don't believe God's Word teaches that. You with me here? Wow. I believe that God rewards industrial, industrious people. I believe that God rewards hard workers. I believe that God rewards people who apply themselves. I also believe that some people have lack because of they don't do those things. So I don't believe this teaches communism. But what I will say is this from this scripture here is that in the day that they lived, they believed that Jesus was very soon to split the clouds of glory. Do you understand what I'm saying? They believed. <laughs> he said he was going to come quickly. Now, I don't know the day or the hour of his coming. But they got together and they sold their possessions. And they had all things common, and they distributed as the need was there. Do you understand? Now, wow. The problem is when they all got together in Jerusalem, shortly thereafter, God had to split them up. So if it was God's will for them to stay there in, in a communistic, we'll call it that for your understanding, or a social type organization where they all take everything they got and put it in the same common whole, uh, pot, uh, pot and distribute it, then why did later God lay out persecution to get them out of Jerusalem to go preach the gospel? Okay, you understand what I'm saying? It wasn't the will of God for them to stay in Jerusalem. You understand? But I will say this about this scripture, all right? That they had so much passion for God and His kingdom that they were willing to sell property and houses they were not told to. It wasn't mandatory. But they were willing to for the common good. And in order for somebody to have that kind of liberality about them, that means they must have had an awesome passion about them if they were willing to sell property and land and bring it to the apostles and lay it at the apostles' feet. Do you understand? That is awesome. Hello? Everybody has a part. And I'm not ever going to tell you to sell your house. It's not biblical for me to stand up here and tell you to sell your house and bring it into this house. It's not biblical for me to tell you to sell your car. It's not biblical for me to tell you what kind of car to drive or what kind of house to live in. Nor is it biblical for you to tell me what kind of car to drive and what kind of house I'm to live in. Understand. That's not God. Do you understand what I'm saying? The tithe belongs to God. Offerings are above the tithe. They're free will. Hallelujah. Whoa. That doesn't let us off the hook. That gives me grace. Come on. When I hear that, that makes me want to do more. It doesn't give me a license to do less. Does this make sense to you? When I read this, it doesn't give me a license to do less. It gives me a motivation and a passion to do more. 
Peter looks at Ananias and Sapphira. Looks at, well, Ananias is dead. Because he lied to the Holy Ghost. And Sapphira comes in. He, he says, hey, wasn't it not yours? What required of you? you the, problem they, the reason why they died is because they lied to God about their giving. He said, man, it was y'all's. Hallelujah. The apostles didn't stand up there and say, every one of you sell your house. Every one of you sell your cars. Bring it to church. He didn't do that. Why are you looking at me like that with so much amazement? At least I amazed you somehow. Wouldn't do me any good anyway. Stand up here and sell your, tell you to sell your cars, sell your houses. Some of you won't even bring your tithe, which is, is, is demanded and commanded by God. Hello? And you can try to worm yourself around that and try to explain that away and say that was under the law. Jacob paid tithes unto God before the law was ever given. In fact, Abraham brought a tithe to Melchizedek. And listen, and Melchizedek is a type of the New Testament fivefold ministry. It was given before the law was ever established. And it was given to a Melchizedek priesthood. You're in a Melchizedek priesthood type ministry now since Jesus has come. Do you understand what I'm telling you? So we don't have a license to do less. We should have a passion to do more. Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. You know, and I'm just going to tell you this right now, okay, because I feel led to. And I tell you this not to try to, to let the right hand know what, or the left hand know what my right hand does or try to put myself in a pharisaical position to let you know how much I give. I do this by example. But I tell you this by example. Are you with me here? When I, come on, God's good. I'm just going to tell you right now. Last year, God blessed us in order to give $22,000 back into the kingdom of God. You with me here? So I don't stand up here and preach to you about giving and, and not do it. Whew, God's good. I simply tell you that. I hold back. I tell you that because example. I have to be an example of giving. Are you with me here? Woo, hallelujah. God is an awesome God. And you know what? That 22,000 isn't 10%. You with me? That was over 20%. This year, if we keep doing what we're doing right now with what we receive, it'll be over that percentage amount. It's not about just tithe and figuring it to the penny. Do you have a passion for God's kingdom? The Bible talked about, the Jews said this about, Jesus said this. He said, if there's darkness in your eye, your whole body is dark. Is there light in your eye or is there darkness in your eye? You know what that literally means? Let me explain to you that. Jewish understanding is this. They said... That you were dark in your eye if you gave less than 50% of your income. That you had light in your eye if you gave 50% of your income or more. It had to do with the ability to give. 
stingy, greedy, or liberal. Now that convicts me. Am I right, sister? You know you're a Jewish scholar. 40? Okay, she corrects me, 40. 40%. Don't be sorry for nothing. 40%. That means you had light in your eye at 40%. And anything below that was darkness. So I was right then because 50% you have light in your eye. Anything above 40 is light in your eye, honey child. I don't care how you figure it. Don't be sorry. Don't make me mad. (laughs) But do you hear where I'm coming from? Oh, I'm telling you, man, that puts me under conviction. And so what I'm trying to say is a lot of people are trying to find loopholes. So they don't have to give. Are you funny? According to Jewish understanding, and Jesus made the statement about the eye being light or dark. According to that understanding, I am a man full of darkness. I am a greedy man. That is something, isn't it? Isn't God good? Woo! (laughs) See, I got to do all the hard work. So y'all just get up here and preach about Elijah and, you know. All those really neat things. I got to deal with all the nitty-gritty hard work stuff, brother. I got to plow the ground, you know, make people mad, offend them. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is good. He's good. I said he's good. And by the way, by the way, I'm just going to be, I'm going to get right down here to the nitty-gritty. I guess that's what you'd call it. I'll get down right to the Word of God. I would like for somebody to come and show me in this Bible where they had fundraisers. I would like for somebody to come show me in this Bible where they went to the world to solicit funds for ministry. Show me. This church has not been built on fundraisers. Everything you see here, everything that's happened here, you know how this has happened? It has happened because of the people of God's sacrificial giving. Not out there soliciting funds for ministry. Give me a break. I don't believe in it. Now, if God tells you to do that, that's another story. I'm not going to get in that. I'm not going to, you know, that's, other men do that. That's between them and God. But as far as what God has told me, not getting into that. Sacrificial giving. You look at the Old Testament in, when Moses received the offerings to build the tabernacle. He received it from the hands of the people of God. And he had to say, stop giving. Are we in a lesser dispensation than the law? If they did it then, we are in greater days. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than the tabernacle. He's greater than angels. He's he's greater than Melchizedek. 
And if they did that in Old Testament days, and we live in a greater day, how could we do less? And they built, come on. Hallelujah. God's good. Now watch this. Well, somebody would say, but pastor, did they not get it from the Egyptians? Yes, but they worked for it for 400 years. Or at least 215, depending on your chronology, how you figured it. At least for 215 years, they worked for it and labored it. It belonged to them. So when they brought it out, they brought it out. They worked for it. And then they brought it back to God. And Moses said, stop bringing. You're bringing too much. I don't see him selling peanut brittle. I don't, I don't see him going to the local tele, Texaco station and saying, well, you know what, we, our church, we wish you were like, need some help right here. Would you help us, uh, you know, fund our building? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not opposed to somebody who wants to paint our bus or something like that, but I'm talking about funding this assembly, building this church. God, are y'all with me here? Give God some praise. Isn't God awesome? Well, this, is, this, this hits us where we live. Brother Dice used to say this. You know, I quote him a lot. You know why I do that? Because if you won't listen to me, you'll listen to him. He's my mentor. He's with God right now. He's a powerful man. Here's what he used to say. He said, a man who's really saved, God's got this. And see, some of y'all have a problem with me preaching like this because you have a problem with this. Not me. I can stand up here and preach perfect, in perfect liberty. The reason you have a problem with it is because you have a problem with it. But if you are really saved, God's got that too. Because you vote with your pocketbook. And people will put an immoral Clinton in office because he promises them a good economy. They didn't vote their heart. They voted their pocketbook. And I'm talking about so-called Christians. Hello. God is so good, church. If I, you know... See, I know, I know what happens. I see God's supernatural provision come to this church constantly. And we pray it in. We go to God and say, God, we need this. And God takes care of it. Seen that from the time we started on Brazos with just a couple people in the church building. And we had pray it in. We need $900 for lights. And we prayed it in. $900, no, they didn't even know. I just went to church and I prayed. I said, God, I need $900 for lights, et cetera, and et cetera. And a, few day, a day or a couple of days, I can't remember the exact time. A man walked up with me with exactly $900. I have seen it time after time after time. Praying it in. Trusting supernaturally. Come on. Get a hold of God in prayer. Pray it in. Bring it in. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Pray it in so God's kingdom can go forth. Hello. Amen. Well, I pray this has blessed your life. Are you passionate about God? Woo! Amen. Do you remember anything I preached this morning? Huh? 
two, three. Man, we preached about three or four hours. Three, about three hours anyway. It's been a while, had it, brother, since we went, a, for, we went at three hours. It's been a while, huh, brother? Hallelujah. Y'all feel better now, don't you? You know, 30 minutes Wednesday night, that just wasn't enough for y'all. Y'all thought something was wrong with me. Yeah, y'all were all confused. Brother Thomas said he, was all, he didn't know what to do. Y'all were all confused, man. You got in your cars, didn't know where to go. <laughs> what do we do now, you know? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, so I'm just making up for, for what happened Wednesday. Hallelujah. Make sure you get fed good. Amen. Isn't God awesome? I, I love y'all. y'all. Y'all walk with God. And uh, God's words go forth just to encourage you just to be more uh, passionate about Him and, and serving because it's all about Him, I tell you. And uh, I want to have a passion like David had. I don't want to leave just my tomb behind. They knew where David's tomb was. I don't want to just leave my tomb behind. I want to leave something behind that will impact the world long, be, long, long after I'm gone. And he's an awesome God. And I love him and I know you do. Let's stand. Father God, I thank you today for your awesome word. Thank you, God, for letting us look in this holy book and letting us see the pattern of the early church, the prototype. And Father God, we thank you today, Jesus, that if we will do it your way, we will experience what the early church experienced. The awesome harvest of souls. They came into your kingdom, even in one day, 3,000 plus people were added to your church. Use us, I pray, in America. America is in danger. We pray, God, for America. We pray for souls. We pray for people to humble themselves and pray. We ask you right now, Jesus, that we would be the people that we need to be serving you faithfully, passionately, contending for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. Unusual manifestation, bringing revelation, continuing steadfastly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise today. Hallelujah. Jesus, I worship you. I worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. I worship you. I glorify you. I magnify you. I lift you up. Hallelujah. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Come back tonight. Get ready. Hallelujah. If I, did, if I couldn't get you going and, and get you mo moved in the Spirit of God, we got somebody tonight that will. I tell you, he, I'm looking forward to it. I want, him, I want him just to blow me away. I'm going to stand up there, and I'm going to let him explode, and I'm going to just go into smithereens. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all want to do the same? Y'all coming back tonight to get blown away? Woo! I'm putting pressure on him right now. High expectation. I love y'all. God bless.